Can you hear me okay? I'm on I'm on my uh, laptop speakers, which are usually pretty terrible. It sounds good. Awesome. Okay. Okay, Damien. Mm -hmm. She is okay. All right, I think we have everybody who we're expecting at this point in time. Both Aaron and Douglas let us know they won't be here until this afternoon, and Critchlow resigned. Good. Well, we do have a quorum at least, right? Yes, you have five out of nine, because now you have two vacant positions. Two vacancies. Okay. Yeah, you already had one vacancy, and uh, the re recent resignation left a second. Okay. So you only have seven currently appointed. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to get started? Is everybody ready? I'm good. Okay. Well, welcome today to the Multimodal Transportation Commission retreat. Um, we've provided you a retreat packet and an agenda. We figured we would start the day um, by doing a member social, um, thinking a little bit about, since we have some new participants, not all of which are here, but um, th thinking about taking time to introduce yourself, um, to do introductions, and we'll consider that as part of roll call. And then um, I was thinking it might be nice to refresh us to back to our vision. So tell us about your transportation passion or why did you volunteer for MMTC? What interests you? Um, so we can kind of get to know each other and our perspectives um, for, our, for our new members. Okay. Can I ask uh, either... Uh, can I ask the chair to start or delegate someone to start? Sure, I'll start. Let me make sure I get all the things that you asked for. Okay. So my name is Nick Kuzmiak. Um, I have lived in Lawrence since late 2017. Previously lived in uh, Maryland, right outside of DC, which is where I'm from. Lived in Philadelphia, Austin, Houston, and very briefly in Saudi Arabia. Um, before here, I was in Houston. So um, let's see. I am an engineer by day, environmental, so I work with wastewater and occasionally drinking water, but usually just wastewater. So um, sort of some engineering background, but not a traffic engineer by any means. And what led me to join the MMTC? So when I was in Houston, um, it was the first city I'd been in that seemed truly dysfunctional on a transportation level. They had started a walkability subcommittee under their planning commission. I thought, well, it's kind of interesting. I want to see what Houston thinks walkability looks like. Sorry, I think we have a phone call here. Anyway. Um, also, I'm, I'm currently in Cancun, so <laughs> I'm joining kind of remotely. So if my Wi-Fi cuts out, oops, um, it's probably still better than my home Wi-Fi. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a little spotty here. Sorry. Anyway, um, so I joined because in Houston, I tried to get involved in the walkability subcommittee. But um, public comment was limited to a single minute. The meetings were kind of useless. Nothing ever really got done. I thought, man, there's got to be a better way. And about a year later, I got my chance when we moved from Houston to Lawrence to kind of start fresh, be closer to family. And I, I realized, man, it is really easy to get involved in local government here if you just ask and if you're interested. So very quickly started getting on, on you know, neighborhood association. I was on public transit advisory committee. And then that led me to MMTC back when we were actually 
representing certain boards. So uh, yeah, kind of a long way to say I got here because I want to make transportation better in the cities that I live in. Was there anything else I'm missing? Jessica, I don't know if I got no, all that. I, I think that was great. I think that gives us a good idea. Nick, I even learned something. I've been working with you for a while. So I know. <laughs> I think that's the point, right? Yeah. Socialization. <laughs> Damon, do you want to go next as our, our next highest ranked member here? Sure. I'm Damon Bautoska. Um somewhat new to the commission. I joined uh, just in October last year, I believe. Um, so I've been in, living in Lawrence for just over 10 years now. Um, and yeah, I joined the commission because in, you know, in college at KU, I, I'm a 2015 graduate. Um, I studied architecture, so my background's in that. Um, but I was all, always like a, I describe a fair weather bike commuter. So I'd bike to class all the time, um, ride the bus on occasion. Um, but then kind of in 2019, I made a, a more um, concerted effort to try and just um, use my car as little as I could possibly uh, use it. So, you know, my bike's been my primary mode of transportation since then. Um, and so I, I just like to tell people if, if you want to radicalize yourself about transportation, just try and not use a car for like a week and you'll, you'll find yourself wanting to get pretty involved with this stuff. And that's what happened to me. And that's how I'm here today. I just wanted to add a quick fun fact. So I know Gregory is no longer on the commission, but uh, Damon is now the second commissioner who has lived two doors down from me. So it's, uh, it's really small town stuff, I guess. Okay, Pat, you're next on our screen. Okay, hi, I'm uh, Pat Collette, and um, I've, this is my beginning of my second year on uh, MMTC. Uh, prior to that, I was on uh, the Parks and Rec um, Advisory Board, and I, I joined that because I was really interested in, you know, particularly the trails, bike pads, stuff that, that they're involved with, and uh, then I was asked uh, to um, apply to to be on uh, MMTC, which I did, and resigned my place in Parks and Rec. But I came, uh, I retired about uh, six years ago. Yeah, I can't, yeah, six years ago, I guess. And uh, from um, the KU Transportation Center, um, where I was primarily involved in uh, public transportation and specifically rural public transportation, uh, we did get involved a bit with bike ped issues, um, and I would have liked to have done been involved more, but you know, it just it all relies on grant funding and that kind of thing, and so we we didn't do a lot in that area. Um, uh, but I was there for you know, a little over 30 years, and uh, I'm a, a cyclist. I uh, do a lot of bike touring. Well. You know, before COVID, I did a lot, a lot, a lot more, and I'm hoping this year it starts back up again. So, I have a goal to ride across every state or some variation thereof. And so, I'm still working on that and need to hurry up. So, uh, well, I still can do it. Um, I get. I just, you know, I'm really interested in bike pet issues and also uh, transit and how those interrelate and and. Uh, so uh, very much um, 
excited about that and, and the work of MMTC. And I guess it's just like a little personal side note. Um, uh, I have three grandsons and when they each turn 10, I had told them that I would take them to Washington DC and they could pick the things that they wanted to, to see and they each had their own itinerary. But one of the challenges for each of them was to try to see how many forms of transportation they could take on the trip. So it was a competition among the three of them uh, to, to get as many modes as possible. So that was kind of a kind of a fun challenge for them since you know in Lawrence or there aren't nearly as many of those modes available. So my my oldest one his, he was really interested in learning how to hail a taxi because he'd never done that and want to know how to do it. So anyway, it was a fun adventure for them. That sounds really fun. We try to do that sometimes too when we're on trips to see how many modes we can get. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie, how about you? Uh, hello, can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, Jessica, I feel like I'm going to have to really work hard to surprise you with much. Um, my uh, my um, work on transportation goes back to, um, I don't know, it feels like it's been a long time. I was in my work at the health department, the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Um, I got involved with uh, transportation planning efforts that the MPO uh, did and then with our community health planning work, I was involved with um, the Live Well Douglas County Coalition and other groups that were concerned about uh, conditions specifically for pedestrians and um, also for bicyclists. And I got on the Ped Bike Issues Task Force uh, a few years back that um, kind of developed the recommendation to form some sort of transportation commission. And once it was uh, put together, um, I was put on there as a health department representative. Um, and then a, I can't recall if it was a year or two years after the formation, um, the membership of the commission was changed to be all, all at large. Um, and so that representational role that I had uh, ended and then I, was appointed as a, um, just strictly as a community member um, serving at large. So I've been um, involved with this for quite a while. And I would say um, the thing that keeps me really uh, interested is um, probably just thinking about, you know, I, I, I was drawn to local government management. So I'm always uh, kind of one of those uh, public admin geeks that just likes, you know, things about local government. But I think specifically, you know, when I was doing that work early on, I saw the connection to my own family and specifically my um, two daughters. Uh, when we were doing the safe press to school planning, it became, you know, really clear to me, like the need for kids to get safely around the community. And, you know, that begins with helping them learn how to walk and navigate the streets, uh, get across intersections safely, and just wanting them to be more independent and then teaching them how to ride their bikes and riding on the road um, was kind of step one. I didn't really want them to ride on the sidewalks because of some of the conditions of the sidewalks. But I think just in that process of doing the work and then having my own experiences in this community with my family, 
it became clear to me that this was a critical issue. And um, it feels like a great way to contribute um, outside of my work. So, and yeah, there's probably not a lot I can surprise you with, Jessica. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm, yeah, I'll have, to keep, I'll have to keep thinking about that one. So thanks. Nice to see everybody. Althea, how about yourself? Hi, I'm Althea Schnocki, and this is my first year, and actually just first year getting into everything. I was on the Pedestrian Planning Steering Committee. That met the second half of last year. Before that, I worked with Safe, or Safe Routes, uh, Douglas County, when I was at Central Middle School. And so interested in just general pedestrian things. And, you know, I work for the school district, so I see a lot of what happens with kids getting to school, again, with the safe routes. But just watching what happens in my neighborhood got me interested. Well, I hope it's um, interesting to hear from each of you, to hear from each other about kind of where you come from. You can see some commonalities, and I think it's probably important for us to always come back to that and remember that in terms of uh, some of the decisions we're making, especially when we get to some of the conversation that we're going to have in a little bit. Um, since many of you know me, but some of you don't, I'll take a chance to introduce myself and then I'll let Brad introduce himself here. Um, but I'm Jessica Mortinger. I'm the transportation planning manager for the MPO. I've been um, our metropolitan planning organization. I've been in this role in June. It will be 12 years. So when Charlie says there's not much that can surprise us, because I think from the very beginning almost, we've been um, in different parallel tracks working together on some of these uh, planning issues. And so um, personally, I'm also uh, motivated. Uh, I have a young kid who um, I am biking with, and she's, you know, that's both scary and fun. Um, and so... There's, I think, a lot of opportunity in our community, and that really gets me excited um, working with people who are so passionate about making this a better place. So I'm happy to be here today to help you facilitate this conversation and hopefully reflect on where we've been and where we're at and where we're going um, with some of your work and larger transportation planning work. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm Brad Harris. Uh, I'm an administrative technician here at uh, MSO in the city of Lawrence. And uh, so I'm just providing admin support for these meetings. You normally um, may be familiar with Christina Gherkin. She's uh, out for the day. So you're still going to be dealing with her for the most part on weeks going forward. But uh, I do have a lot of uh, passion for the MMTC work that you all do. So I look forward to uh, hearing about um, your plans for the future. Okay. And it can't go without saying the man behind all of the screens in the back of the room for those of you who aren't here with me. Um, we'll quickly introduce Kurt for those of you that don't know, but that get to work with him. Um, he's back there. He's he's making all the magic happen so that the public can join us remotely so that you can all um, participate in this process. And we're very thankful for that too. So we'll acknowledge him today. Dave Cronin will be joining us in a little bit. And we probably are a little ahead of schedule in terms of uh, when some of the multimodal uh, staff is going to join us. Um, real quick, do we want to go ahead and jump into work and pause when they join us? Or... Um, 
that, that's kind of what I would recommend. Does that seem reasonable to everyone or is there additional conversation you'd like to have in terms of um, just some social conversation at the beginning of the meeting? We have about 12 minutes. So I had a quick question. Um, I unfortunately didn't get all the way through the packet yet because um, it's been kind of a crazy week, but I saw that there's a staff suggestion box at the very end and that that's not necessarily on the agenda. Do you think we can maybe use a couple of minutes to just kind of go over that real quick or is that intended for later in the meeting? Well, we can look at that. I, I was I, go I was going to say um, more on just the getting to know each other side. I was curious, uh, like what part of town all of us represent. Um, I live on the west side of town. Uh, I'm right in the Quell Run neighborhood. I uh, just moved here a few years ago, but I um, then lived before that. I was in the Monterey neighborhood, which is I'm still in the Quell Run Elementary um, school boundary, but it's uh, north of 6th Street. So um, I, I would say since I've lived in Lawrence, that's pretty much all I've, in neighborhoods wise, that's what I've, that's what I've known. Um, and then of course I work in the Pinckney neighborhood and I've been there for quite a while now. So, um, but I certainly bring a, probably a perspective that's uh, maybe shared by others that live on the west side of town. So I wanted to kind of just toss that out there for people. You know, I think earlier on to something that it's maybe not a bad idea to share the parts of our background that would influence what our values could be, but that when we're having these discussions, it would help to understand where somebody might be coming from. Because though I've worked with you for a few years now, I have not worked for, you know, with Pat or Althea particularly closely. So it'd be nice to kind of know where, where our folks are coming from. So I guess, Jessica, I just want to check back in with you first as the facilitator. We got 10 minutes or so. Um, do you think it would be appropriate to kind of dive a little bit deeper and maybe have a bit of a values discussion by way yeah. of appended biography? Absolutely, Jessica Mortinger. Um, I think it would be appropriate. Um, and what I was going to say about your staff suggestion box thing, is that something Dave attached to the packet that had been in a previous packet? So um, it's something that came from stuff that planning staff tells to planning commission. So I'm not sure that it's something that we just necessarily go over. I think it's some of the planning commission retreat uh, staff read it out loud. I don't think we were intending to do that for you today. Um, it was okay. just some helpful tips that we have shared before. That's good to know. I had no idea that that was specific to the planning commission. I just thought that was something that was kind of done last minute for the packet. And it's really useful. I mean, a lot of these things are things that I feel like may go unsaid, but seeing them explicitly written out, it's like, huh, good to know. That's uh, something I'll, I'll try to keep in mind. So um, yeah, I think that's all. But I think as far as Charlie is concerned, I think both you, both your uh, idea about talking more about some of your values, um, I think you touched, started touching on some of those in terms of why you're here, whether that's kids or safety or bike walkability, bikeability, comfort, um, transit access. I think we can continue to dive into that. And if, um, like Charlie had mentioned about just some different neighborhoods, if people feel comfortable sharing either where they work or commonly use some of those networks, I think it's probably appropriate to understand kind of where in the community is represented based on people's personal perspectives for transportation. And that would be fine too. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, Damon, would you like to go next? Or somebody else who's like really raring to go? <laughs> sure, I can make it quick. Uh, so I live in the Pinckney neighborhood and I've lived there since college. So 
just over 10 years in Pinckney, um, right over by the hospital. Um, I work downtown, so, nice. you know, my commute is, is really short, um, which is great, but yeah, I'm also like Charlie, I'm on the north side of sixth street. So that's basically my sketchiest boundary that I have to cross, you know, so I'm, I'm biking across that street, you know, four times a day. Um, so I've had more close calls than, uh, I could probably tell you. So, um, you know, that, that's also a reason, uh, or one of my values for sure is safety. Um, just with the number of close calls that I've had, uh, that's going to be important. Uh, and also I'd say sustainability, um, you know, the, the county's getting their climate action plan, you know, together. Um, and I think, one thing that we should really be focusing on is reducing um, individual car use. You know, it's not only the least efficient in terms of mode of getting people moving through throughout a city. It's also just the worst for our air quality, whether that's a, you know, fossil fuel vehicle or even uh, electric cars pollute our air with their brake and tire dust. So, you know, I see electric cars as part of the puzzle, but the bigger part of the puzzle for me is just reducing uh, individual car use and, you know, getting more people switching to more efficient, better modes. Thanks for the explanation. That does make sense. Um, and I feel like that's a sentiment I've, I've heard a couple times on the commission. Um, I know when I occasionally will read comments on LJ World, which is not a great idea usually, that there's usually a lot of animosity towards folks saying like, oh, everybody's trying to reduce the car use. But in a way, we kind of are. I mean, a couple of us are are interested in the kind of long-term climate and sustainability equation where it, you know, cars are, in a, they are a part of the transit mix, but the share they have currently is probably not sustainable for the long-term future. So I think it's it's not unreasonable that that would be at least some of our values. So, um, Pat or Althea, would you like to go, go up next? I'll go, I'll go next. Um, yeah, currently, and I've lived here for about the last, um, what, 20 years or so, I'm basically at Six and Schwartz Road, um, often, you know, kind of behind that uh, Dillon's store at Sixth and Lawrence Avenue, been there for about 20 years, and, and like I mentioned, I worked at KU, so, you know, commuted mostly between, well, there, and then I'd also, previous to that, had lived for you know, about 20 or 25 years over on the other side of town uh, near Clinton Parkway and Lawrence Avenue. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, I mentioned my grandsons, one of my, one of my daughters and grandsons live near there now. And so when they were in grade school, um, you know, my daughter works. And so I would go over um, to their house and then ride bikes with them to Schwegler, which was the elementary school they went to, um, to teach them how to, you know, like Charlie mentioned, teaching his uh, kids how to how to navigate that, and and we did, you know, did that a lot. And they commuted, or you know, took that route to school quite a bit. My daughter was never very comfortable with it, having, you know, for them going by themselves with crossing Iowa and then. You know, even I mean that intersection got improved a lot, and I feel like it's pretty comfortable now for for cycling and walking across the intersection. But the um, driveway cuts 
all the way to Owsdale, which is where uh, Schwigler is located, was more treacherous, I felt like, than Iowa because, you know, they were having to, you know, cars, you know, were, you know, turning in quickly into, into the, you know, shopping mall and that kind of thing. So, um, so I had, you know, quite a bit of experience with that. And then, um, you know, as far as com commuting for me, um, you know, coming from both of those, both of those directions, but, um, um, and, you know, for a short period of time, I lived up near campus, you know, three or three or four years I lived there, which was, you know, a great location too, but, um, um, and easier in general for, for, for getting around, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, kind of my perspectives on it. Thanks for sharing. Um, and I'll be at, we have a few more minutes, so I prefer if you go instead of me. <laughs> yeah. So I lived for about 15 years right at 14th Mass, which was a great location because it was easy and then worked across the street. So I had a three minute commute. It was really nice. And I live in East Lawrence and work at the uh, Instructional Resource Center, which is in charge of curriculum distribution for the district. And so that's right next to Haskell. So I hop on burrows when the weather's nice enough and just bike or walk to work. And so being able to bypass a lot of traffic has been part of my strategy of where to live to avoid driving as much as possible. I used to have a lot more noble aspirations in terms of trying to avoid driving as much as possible, but I kind of live a weird distance away from my office. So it's like just too far to bike on just dangerous enough streets that I'd rather not in the dark, you know, in the winter. But I used to live a lot closer to work. But um, I think in the, in the last two minutes, I guess just a couple more things. So my dad was a, is a transportation planner. Um, he was originally an engineer, decided he'd like policy more, and has been a transportation guy ever since. He's done research on things like walkability scores, improving those, bike ped stuff. He's currently working on the Purple Line, which is the big circumferential light rail in uh, Maryland and DC. So I've kind of been indoctrinated from a pretty young age about how planning and transit kind of interact and really didn't care for a long time. I played some city, but that was about as far as I got. It wasn't until, like I said, I lived in Houston and realized how bad it can get. Like, there's gotta be a better way. And I finally understood what my dad was up to. So now we actually can have coherent conversations on what it is he does. And I can understand what it is thanks to my experience on MFTC so far. So it's kind of a, a reciprocal relationship. And I continue to learn stuff from him, but also I'm able to bring him kind of, you know, more small city examples of how it works in real life. So that's been kind of fun for me. I also have a, a young kid as well. He's about a year and a half now. And um, all of a sudden using a stroller on, on sidewalks. So I, as an able-bodied young guy, it's been fairly easy for me to get around even on broken or muddy sidewalks, but now it actually matters. <laughs> Um, I have a newfound respect for those who are either of limited mobility or those who have, you know, to deal with wheels in some way or another. So um, kind of much more acutely aware of the condition of our sidewalks, especially because I now live in East Lawrence, which is all bricks all the time. So, um, yeah, just a, a little extra information. Since we're at 1.30, or sorry, it's 12.30, your time. Shall we move on to the multimodal staff introduction? Yes, I think it's about that time. We've been admitting some members of our multimodal staff, so we'll take a second. 
um, and allow them to turn on their cameras and then we will um, provide an opportunity. Um, we typically like to take this opportunity to introduce you to some of the interdepartmental staff that um, either the MPO and or MSO, whether that's Dave Cronin or Jake Baldwin or Dustin Smith, who as MSO engineers generally present to you um, that we're working with in the background um, in regards to coordinating interdepartmental issues. And so this um, is a this is a recommendation that came out of some of the work that was done around the bike pet issues task force uh, time in terms of collaboration um, that's happening both uh, interdepartmentally as well. So we want to just take an opportunity to introduce you to the people who could join us today from that multimodal staff team um, who present and collaborate on issues on the back end. I will. Um, I will let someone start introducing themselves in that regard and then just call on the next person you see on the screen. Kind of that's a member of the staff team staff, if you would. And Evan, I'll let you uh, start. Just introduce yourself, say your title, maybe how long you've been with the city and um, maybe something you brought to the team or some work that um, you found of value to the team. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Evan Corentin. I'm the city's ADA compliance administrator. Uh, I've been with the city since October of 2019, um, and I work with um, this group on a variety of different accessibility um, items, best practices as we look towards uh, mobility in our community. Um, yeah, that's about it. I will hand it off to, let's see, Jake Baldwin. Thanks, Evan. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Jake Baldwin. I'm an engineering program manager for municipal services and operations. So uh, it's nice to see all the commissioners again, who we've had a, a lot of conversations with, and, and nice to meet you, the new commissioners as well. Um, so in, in my role, I typically facilitate the non-motorized projects. Um, <clears throat> And, and Jessica kind of works through us with the policy work on that. Uh, you'll see me in conversations with that. We bring that policy every year and have a discussion and, and do a five-year plan for those projects. Um, in addition, I've got roles with the sidewalk improvement program for the city. Um, and I, I typically manage um, a lot of our um, other bike ped projects. So loop projects typically come to my court um, and safe routes to school. I've managed quite a few of those as well. So, um, uh, and I will pass it off to Dustin. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Dustin Smith, I'm a senior project engineer with MSO and again, familiar with, with most of the commissioners, but uh, so I'm a, I've been with the city uh, not quite three years now, uh, focused mainly on transportation projects and traffic, um, have the neighborhood traffic management program that, that you guys have a lot of oversight on. And um, I guess personally, I've uh, lived in Lawrence 25 years now and have two kids at New York and two kids at Central. So I'm also very uh, vested, I guess, in, in uh, getting kids safely to and from school. And I'll uh, hand it off to Adam. Hi everyone, I'm Adam Weigel. I'm the transit and parking manager for the city. I started in March of 2020. And um, you know, my work on this group, I suppose, like, coordinate a lot with a lot of different people on the screen pretty consistently. There's a lot of <laughs> transit impact and opportunity, I guess, in the work that um, Jake does related to sidewalks and the work that a lot of MSO does in street projects. Uh, Evan's consulted with us on a number of accessibility 
uh, considerations for bus stop improvements and the like. So um, lots of overlap between different members of the team. And I will hand it off to Rob. Hi, I'm Rob Neff. I'm with the Lawrence Police Department. I've been there for 31 years. I'm a sergeant. I'm in charge of the accident investigation unit. And I'm mainly here to help provide usually enforcement activities for whatever projects we're working on. And also have uh, data on accidents and kind of what streets are causing problems. I'm actually on an iPad, so I'm not sure who's next. So everybody's just sort of in one big how group. About, so. How about Maureen? Hi, I'm Maureen. Um, Maureen Brady, I am the brand manager for the city and I work in our communications and creative resources office. I have been here since January 2019 um, and I generally help the team spread the word on our different projects. So I do news releases and social media um, and just handle our communication side of things. And I will pass to Becky. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Becky Pepper, and I'm the planning manager in our, our planning division. Hopefully, everybody can hear me okay. I think I'm having some internet issues. Great. Um, I've been with the city for about six years, and as I mentioned, um, I'm in the planning division. So uh, we work on some uh, long-term, long-range projects like um, area plans, um, implementation of the comprehensive plan, and then we also work on more concurrent planning jobs that would be uh, entail different um, planning applications associated with developments and coordinate with this group on um, various um, you know, impacts in transportation that either those long, long range plan, planning efforts might have or those um, uh, current planning applications may have. And um, I'm gonna pass it over to Micah. Hi everyone, Micah Siebold. I'm the GIS manager uh, in IT department. Um, I work with this team in regards to uh, mapping applications and uh, other technology that can help us uh, our work. Uh, I've done some, I've done a project on uh, modeling for the non-motorized prioritization, which might be a work item this year, I believe, that we're gonna look at. Um, so um, I'm also, a bike, uh, road biker myself. I've done the BAK. I try to commute whenever I can via bike and just enjoy it in general. So, and I'll pass it to uh, Lindsay. Hello, I'm Lindsay Hart. I'm the assistant director for Parks and Recreation, and I'm sitting in, uh, filling in today for Derek Rogers, our director, who wasn't able to make it. So I am new to the city. I've only been here a few months, and so I'm new to this group as well. So I'm just here to listen and learn today. And I will pass it over to Stephen. Hi, I'm uh, Stephen Mason. I am also with Parks and Recreation. I have been on the team for a few years now. I've been with the city for uh, about eight. And uh, with Parks and Rec, I assist with some of the education and outreach. Uh, I'm also a league certified instructor through the League of American Bicyclists. So I bring some of that uh, to the group as well and just kind of have a little bit of flexibility to fill in where I'm needed. Oh, and I have to pass it to somebody. Um, <laughs> I think Dravel is the last one. I'll help you out, Stephen. All right, Dravel. 
Hey, uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dre Bell Taylor. I am uh, the Lawrence Douglas County Mobility Manager. Um, my position started this January, so I'm pretty new here. Um, my role and responsibilities is to work with all of our transportation providers and our service providers to uh, increase uh, mobility uh, efficiency and uh, stop. There we go. Um, it's a horse, sorry. Um, yeah, so working with all of our providers to increase our efficiency and accessibility. So working with people like Independence Inc. and the Senior Resource Center who um, whose jurisdiction is not just the city of Lawrence. So you can see we have almost, we have a pretty good showing today. I think we just may be missing just a few people. Although if you ask me off the top of my head, I might forget who that is, but um, uh, sustainability. Uh, we have uh, them as part of our team and um, we call in additional people if we need them, but you can see how robust and interdepartmental a lot of the coordination behind a lot of city projects um, is in terms of we bring in the right people to help um, succeed on many of the projects where you, there's probably a lot of things you've uh, heard about in terms of work tasks, but you don't necessarily see their faces always. Um, because we're all uh, each kind of doing our own project. Um, is there anything you'd like to know more about what anybody is doing? Otherwise, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you have that question, Nick. You're yeah, muted. I just had a quick question about um, what frequency do you all meet on, or is it kind of an as-needed basis? Um, just, I guess, how intense is this uh, board? Yeah. Um, so prior to COVID, we were meeting twice a month. Um, when COVID started, we began meeting more monthly. And so that's kind of the pace we've kept, although um, we use sometimes email communication to communicate in between meetings for check-ins. And of course, there's a lot of, that's just for our kind of formal monthly meeting. Um, there's a lot of background project work that's happening uh, that people bring in the right people for which whatever specific project or item they're working on. So um I would, you know, for some people it might be daily, you know what I mean? In terms of working with, you know, the set group that's working on whatever task they're working on uh, to accomplish their project. That was kind of going to be my next question actually is, is what sort of things do you work on? Is it basically immediate projects that you have to do cross department collaboration or is it sort of longer term strategic things like say T2050 is coming up in a few years. Let's, you know, let's talk about that. Um, so the agenda is set um, in the sense by whatever every individual member brings to the team. Um, and so oftentimes, uh, for example, since Dave's not here, Dave brings like your work plan to the group. And we talk about all of the work stuff laid out for the year. Um, that's kind of on everybody's radar. Micah used a good example when he talked about um, non-motorized prioritization policy and the work that um, the MPO and MSO with Jake and he uh, coordinate, we all coordinate together while we're updating that policy development or on the back end while they're working on um, updating the scorings for each new year of project, projects. Um, and so I think it's different for everybody based on what project um, is being worked on. So like Maureen gets involved if we're involved in communications or we have questions about um, how something should be messaged. But then again, you know, there's other people not necessarily on the team that we're also working with that are components of some of those same projects too. So an example of that would be like 
our MSO communications staff or, you know, um, and so it's just kind of Adam brings maybe projects from transit that are, you know, he wants staff input to or to update about process and he's getting people involved on the back end on uh, at appropriate points and in touch points. So I think it's really what everybody brings to the team. Um, the biggest benefit I feel like to the group is just continued relationship building, especially for new people. Um, somebody else can add to that though, if you have something to add about the work or how it how it works. Yeah, also uh, uh, Cronin has brought projects that have a shared use path component uh, or bike lane component for us to review, um, just get our input on. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's more eyes than might normally be on a, a, a project like that. Um, and in the past, we've done some learning. We've uh, watched some videos um, or, yeah, mostly it's just been videos or we uh, about um, what other um, places are doing in regards to pedestrians and um, bicycles. Uh, and then we had a meeting where we rode some of our um, infrastructure like the bike boulevard um, and so we, we, we did like, we've done that once, maybe, <laughs> maybe twice. I think I missed one of them, but so there's some team building as well. Always happy to schedule more rides with the group. <laughs> there's always so many projects going on, right? That we don't, um, not all of us are in tune with every single transportation project it's always happening so it's a good standing opportunity to touch base on some of those things i know you know in our part of the world we're focused on what our bus stop improvements look like over the next year and meetings like this are a good opportunity to touch base with mso on status of 19th street sidewalk project that has some impacts on that and you know when that project began we planned on coordination to make sure uh, sidewalk and bus stop improvements could happen at the same time but uh, we're not checking on that daily. So getting touch points like that at a regular interval is a good way to keep on top of things, especially in a hyper virtual world like it's been for quite a while. Um, without the walk down the hall talks that we could have, it's a good time to do that. This is Charlie Bryan. Um, I really appreciate uh, getting a chance to hear again, like the diversity of representation of all the programs that the city has on this team. And um, it's exciting to know you guys continue to meet and, and do the work collaboratively. <clears throat> I was thinking as you were discussing each of your roles, it would be, I think, helpful. Um, I mean, even, you know, me who's been, who's been on this thing for a little while, uh, it's kind of nice, to, it's a refresher for me, and I think especially for the people that are new, um, it might be really helpful to have some of this kind of put down in writing in a way that would help us kind of have um, just a better understanding of the scope that you guys cover. And I think an additional element that would be interesting to look at is how you, uh, how each of you in your, um, roles are consulting with the public. Uh, for example, um, Lindsay uh, 
you know, with Parks and Rec, the Parks and, and Stephen, you know, they have an advisory board of their own. Um, obviously, the MPO, you know, has its own structure that Jessica um, is engaged with. Um, Adam, you're engaged with PTAC. And so, and those are just a couple examples. Um, Becky's with Planning Commission. But I think for people that are trying to understand the context of this work and how you're um, kind of addressing uh, like that community engagement in multiple ways. You know, we might wonder why you're not consulting with us, <laughs> yet I know that you're consulting with a lot of people. So maybe there's a way to put that in a um, just a document that we could share amongst ourselves to know, oh yeah, you know, there's this effort where the Parks and Rec does bicycling education. And um, I don't know, Stephen, if you guys are doing the driver's uh, um, education around uh, bicycling, but, you know, those things have been in the in the community for some time, at least in conversation. So I don't know if that would be a heavy lift. It seems like it'd be just taking what you guys said and just trying to jot it down on paper. And then maybe there's some other things you have in mind, like that would be good for us to know um, for context. So... I'm not sure if that's an easy lift. If you could do something like that, I'd, I'd appreciate it. I think others might. Maybe you guys already have that. I don't know. Charlie, it makes me think we had something at one point in time, and I'm not sure if we ever updated it since we started the group in terms of laying out intentions. So it's something we can reflect on at our next month meeting and probably come up with something that we can develop and bring back to you as a staff item at MMTC. Thank you. So uh, just quick apologies. I know we're over time on this particular agenda item, but I was wondering, um, and I don't know if this has been even asked before, but is there any opportunity for kind of two-way engagement between MMTC and the staff multimodal committee? Like say, if we wanted to stop in on a meeting, for example, I don't know how confidential these things are. Yeah, I think, you know, these are internal staff meetings working on items and many of the things that we're working on are things that everything eventually gets brought to some public body. Um, but I'm not sure that it would be appropriate to sit in on some of those internal meetings um, in that in that way. No worries. Figured out, ask. That's kind of where I was going with, um, you know, the there's so many different ways the community gets involved in staff work at at some point in time. And we're not going to always be the group, you know? So it's important for us to know, like, we're not the only ones that might um, have to bounce around ideas around transportation issues. I know when the Ped Bike T Issues Task Force did its work, we identified so many different advisory um, committees that, did a little, you know, they dabbled a little bit. They had some relevance to bike pet issues, but um, in the end, you know, you can't consolidate everything because it might just be an ancillary kind of issue for them. Um, and it's not probably common for them for them to think, oh yeah, we should probably kick this over to MMTC for some consultation. <laughs> um, it might not be very efficient either, but I think it's helpful for us to know you know, and we're thinking about our work and the work others do that might touch on issues we care about, then maybe we can, um, you know, attend their meetings if we think or pay attention to their agenda, at least, their agendas. So that's why I threw that out there. 
Nick, you want to be involved in everything, I'm sure. I don't know. I think I'm already on Transportation 2050 and probably something else, so it's probably time to cut it. Um, I have one more question. Sorry about this, Jessica. Um, I don't know if I heard when you were... Um, I want to make sure I heard where everybody is involved in. I don't know if I heard fire department or sustainab uh, sustainability. Are those two entities involved at all? Yes, uh, Jessica, I mentioned um, we have sustainability. Uh, we just transitioned their staff people with their recent change in staff. And we do have a uh, fire med also. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. Kevin is part of our group and he just wasn't here with us today. No worries. I kind of figured, um, just want to make sure that I heard correctly. So. That's it for me. Thanks for the presentation. Very nice to get to either meet all of you or uh, see you again. All right. Thank you, MMT or multimodal uh, staff team. I appreciate you joining us today. You're welcome to stay, of course, but we are going to move on to the next part of our agenda, which is reviewing um, our previous uh, last year, 2021 MMTC work plan. So I'm going to ask Brad, I think at this point, um, in the packet uh, for the members who are staying to participate in this conversation, um, we're going to share a screen. I've created a mural whiteboard that's just a screen share, so you don't have to necessarily pull up the packet. Um, we put together a, a list um, from your agendas and the things that were on our work plan of the work that was completed in 2021. We asked um, members in a survey of which we got four responses um, out of your, at the time, eight members, recognizing you had a couple new, so it wouldn't probably be that easy for them to respond to what was done well last year, having not participated last year. But um, uh, that, if, we, if you scroll down, I don't know how well you can read this, Brad might have to make that larger, but I wanted to, if you, you'll just kind of have to use from your memory or we can scroll back up if you want to look at something, but we asked you the question, what are the, what are two uh, transportation commission actions from 2021 that had the most community impact? I think the conversation here is kind of uh, to start the conversation to reflect on the work that you did last year and how people perceived its importance or value value um, in the process. This will lead into um, some of the next, the next point of conversation. I'll give you that just as a prelude, which is how could those have been improved or process outcome change? And then about information for items as we lead into later in the afternoon, um, what does that mean for what work year we're laying out for 2022? And so I thought it was a little bit fascinating. Um, we put both the first and second choices together because I just really wanted to see kind of how frequently stuff appeared in regards to um, the choices you kind of had about the work that's there. Um, and so we can kind of read through those. You can see the transit facility, the five-year um, bike ped plan, East 19th Street, the Lawrence Loop, another East 19th Street, another uh, transit center, uh, school area traffic control, and Wakarusa Drive. So there's, you know, four, there's five different projects, um, policies or projects that you kind of see come to the top in terms of that. So I'd give you an opportunity to talk about those, about why um, I think a little rationale may be about if you answered which ones you said, if you didn't have a chance to answer, we have some sticky note options and Brad can record and kind of add those to the board as we think about the value of the decisions and conversation and work that you're doing. So as the chair, I don't want to necessarily start off. I want to toss it 
somebody who. So I think I'd like to start with Pat actually, because Pat, you had a full year as the chair, and that's your only experience on MMTC, which is kind of a wild ride. So exactly. I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts were. Um, just maybe you know uh, uh, share some of those. Sure. Um, well, one of mine on that list was the recommended preferred concept for the multimodal transfer facilities. And, you know, one of the reasons I put that on the list is that um, because it really brought together the, you know, we weren't just talking about the transit facilities, but a lot of the discussion was around the bike pet accommodation around those facilities. So not only you know, desired placement, but also characteristics of, of those transfer centers that would serve bike ped. And we often talk in the group about, you know, how, you know, getting more modes, you know, considering more modes within multimodal than we do, but a lot of our emphasis is on bike ped. And this really kind of represented an opportunity that we had to, to really look at it holistically. Um, and then uh, the second one that I um, included was the five-year plan for non-motorized projects, and particularly the part of it that I thought the community impact, and this wasn't the only one that this came up with, but the additional focus on equity for prioritization. And we had a lot of discussion throughout the year in terms of adding equity to the equation. And so that came up in the, the you know, uh, school area um, traffic management plan and, and how to how to increase that and, and, you know, planning and MSO, you know, really helped to do a lot of work in that area to get, you know, to get measures incorporated into those models that would, would help um, help us look at at the work and you know are we really addressing equity in our in our decisions so i felt like those two were really uh really important and and, and com i think with community impact i mean mo uh, you know a lot of the things that we did were important but i think the community you know the community impact uh element of that really um stood out for me yeah, I, I did not uh, select those, but after hearing your explanation, it makes a ton of sense, um, especially the five-year plan, because it's something that's been going on for a few years now, but adding this new dimension of equity means that we really are trying to impact the community as best as we can by including more of the community in the discussions, um, which, which is important, and that, that's not something we necessarily do for every agenda item, so yeah, I would definitely agree with your assessment there. Just like a quick point of logistics in order, is this like a regular meeting where we have to announce who we are every time we talk? Uh, Nick, yeah, we didn't go through those guidelines at the beginning of the meeting, but I think it's good practice in terms of the fact that we may have people watching or phoning in for uh, whatever intent for participation today. Thank okay, you for that clarification. Good. Yeah, I noticed you doing it, thought, oh, am I forgetting something? So Nick Kuzmiak, Chair MMTC, thank you for the reminder. Um, Okay, who, I guess if, if you're comfortable sharing, whoever also put multimodal transfer uh, facilities, I'd be curious to hear about that. That's with me, I don't think it was me. Uh, this is Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I don't remember what I put down <laughs> and these all look pretty reasonable. Uh, I, 
I appreciate um, uh, the call out for the addition of equity in that prioritization work. I think that was, um, you know, when we talked about our goals for last year at our last year's retreat, I kind of remember that was a big deal. We wanted to be more intentional about addressing equity and staff um, began inserting an equity uh, you know, statement inside their memos. I think that's probably um, worth kind of pointing out and, you know, continuing to kind of think about how we're doing that intentionally. So I can't remember what I said. I might have, I might have done the transfer facility because that I thought was a pretty big uh, issue for our community. And then um, maybe the Wakarusa Drive one. Uh, what were you wanting to hear, Nick? <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. As long as you can kind of comment on what you thought was important, um, basically provide more information compared to what we see. Um, well, I kind of looked at it as, you know, these are really significant investments that we're making in the community. Um, I know Wakarusa Drive has been, a, you know, several years in the making, but what was different this time was I think we had done the reconstruction um, north of uh, the the this new location, and things have changed, and so that was a that was a bit of a challenge to think. What's the right way to you know reconstruct this road that um, you know kind of meets our new way of thinking about trying to encourage um, comfort and uh, bikeability in particular for people that are reluctant to ride on, on roads and, you know, this whole notion of should you have a bike lane on a road that has a speed limit of 45 miles an hour, um, you know, recognizing that there's still a niche group that's going to feel comfortable doing that. Um, but if we're trying to increase the mode share for bicycling, that approach has probably um, seen better days. So, I know for me, that was a difficult kind of pivot um, because I kind of like to see the consistency along an entire roadway. Um, but the next time, <laughs> I don't know, I won't be around, I guess, when that happens. But the next time the northern sections of that road are reconstructed, you know, there will be probably a different way to do that. Um, I think the size of those projects is what made me probably think of them as the more significant ones. The one thing I noticed and just reflecting on the full list here is you can kind of see bicycling in here, but it doesn't seem as explicit as I, um, I wish we could see in our work. And so um, that just gives me, I just, you know, kind of, to take pause with that, you know, like when I heard Damon talk a little earlier, you know, about crossing sixth street four times a day. I mean, it's like, this is a significant concern for a lot of our community. And the most we seem to touch on bicycle safety is in when we discuss about our projects, the, how the funding gets, um, moved. And I just wonder, is there anything else we need to be thinking about maybe policy um, related uh, around bicycling safety? Um, and then the other thing that I think is always 
felt a little bit amiss is yeah, the transfer facilities on there, but um, in the bigger picture of multimodal, you know, I don't, I don't see how we're moving the needle on um, changing the mode share. So I just, it, I'm not sure how to make that a higher priority for this year, but it feels like it's always kind of the larger picture because you want more people to feel like taking a, um, a different way of getting around the community that that's convenient for them, safe, um, and they're more likely to choose that than choose the automobile. Um, the other piece that's not here, Nick, you probably wanted to put this on there, but just forgot it, is the collaboration with the Planning Commission. I think so, so but I also think that I actually was reading over this earlier and I thought, you know, I, I know that we did meet with them twice over the last few years, but compared to our 2021 work plan, I think we're barely scratching the surface, unfortunately, because I think they're too busy to really devote too much time to collaborating with us. And yeah. we may not really be as versed in planning as we would like to be to be able to hang with them. Um, so I think that's still a work in progress. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm fully with the, the, I guess, the, the implication that has been particularly impactful yet is going to be because it's a huge piece of the puzzle. But I'm not sure we're there just yet. Um, I don't really know how to get there. <laughs> well, I've this this is probably too technical of an answer, but if there's a traffic impact study, it, it feels like to me at least that there's relevance suddenly, you know, and we're not even presented with that information. So I don't know how to change that process, but it would seem reasonable to me that we would have a chance to review. Um, any of those studies that look at development proposals and their impact on transportation. I'd really like to table that for the 2022 work plan, if that's all right, because um, I think it's worthy of more discussion. Yeah. I, I, just would like to, I would just like to add one more comment about the Planning Commission. And we did have a study session on the Planning Commission, but I feel like, and there were some ideas kicked around as far as ways and it was, as I recall, I didn't go back and look at the notes, but as I recall, it was, you know, getting more information from them. Um, but I don't feel like anything really changed. You know, we had that study session, but, but, you know, nothing, nothing changed. We didn't interact with them at all after that, other than through staff, you know, and getting, getting feedback through staff about what maybe the planning commission was involved with, but. I didn't feel like that really got us very far in terms of, of making changes. Hey, Kuzmec, MMTC. Jessica, I want to check back in with you for this one, uh, 1245 to 130 session. Um, is this basically the content that we're working with? Because I feel like we're really on a roll, but I want to make sure that we don't shortchange whatever else is on for this agenda item. Yeah, no, uh, thank you, Nick, Jessica, Mortinger. We, yeah, this is what we had planned. We kind of divided them in two. It's hard to know which part was gonna be the larger discussion. Again, there's only five of you, four of which can reflect on last year's work, really, kind of, I mean. Uh, and so I, you know, we don't know. It's hard, we laid this out. So I think we can, I think 
If you feel like we have adequately kind of reviewed what we intended to here, which is everybody's had their chance to talk about some of the why they the rationale for why they identified what had community impact, then it really does lead us into the next part of the conversation, which is which of uh, the next question, which are what are MMTC actions that could have been improved or process outcomes uh improved. So I'm I'm okay if you all are okay wanting to move on, but I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to talk about things. Um, maybe, I don't know, Althea, if you just saw that list, if you would have thought something would have maybe had more importance, if that also would just, your perspective of that would add to a different perspective to the conversation of having seen that list, what would you maybe have thought, not knowing what everybody said was important or why, but is there something in there you would have thought would have had more importance or not? Or um, I'm I'm happy to do whatever is appropriate. Now, honestly, in this list, there's things I didn't even know had happened, like the transfer facility. And so just learning about some of this was a little bit of a surprise. So I think maybe there wasn't as much impact as was noticed by the community, but these are all big plans, uh, especially the Lawrence Loop, which has been on this uh, 20 year process, it seems like. You know, that things are getting done in increments for sure. And promises that were made years ago are starting to finally come all the way through. This is Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, I see your, com your comment there in the chat, Nick. I, but before you call out Damon, <laughs> I wanted to, um, I might've put down the East 19th Street. And I, what I'm thinking is what was so significant about that project was the level of community engagement. Um, and that was, um, you know, more than a year of, I mean, I don't know how many years really. It was um, probably one of our first efforts to find some kind of uh, significant reason to present to the city commission that they need to reconsider kind of um, what staff were proposing. I mean, we've, no, we've done that in the past, but it felt to me like that was a little bigger of a deal. We really took a side that was more consistent with the community input um, in pushing back on, you know, the width of a, of a road in, in particular. So it, it, probably was really frustrating for staff, but I, I feel like um, we showed, you know, kind of how our role, um, I, th I guess I feel like our role was probably useful. I'd be really curious if the city commissioners at the time felt like we helped them with that decision because it was a difficult one um, given how much public uh, involvement there was in, in kind of negotiating that one. So that's all I have. Kuzmiak, MMTC Chair. Thanks for bringing that up. That actually covers the other items I mentioned. Um, that's exactly what I want to say is that it's not so much that the street itself was significant, it's that the way we went about it was unusual. And it was kind of a new precedent for how, you know, staff and city, city commissioners and MMTC and the public can all work together to kind of find somewhere in the middle. I mean, even the fire department involved and the consultant. I mean, there were six different entities working on this. And I, I thought that was a particularly good example of this kind of you know, if, if a project's going to be long and drawn out, let's at least use the time wisely to get all the right input to make sure that we make that benefits everybody 
at least at least a little bit, right? So, yeah, I'd fully agree with you on that one. Um, David, if you had anything to input, I'd love to hear from you. And if not, we can always go on to the improvement section. Yeah, this is Damon. I think I put down um, the Lawrence Loop, Iowa to Michigan. And although I, I wasn't part of you know that discussion or that project, but you know anything Loop related, uh, you know I, I, ju I just think the Loop is a great resource um, to a whole lot of folks. Very well traveled, you know, path, and it's one of like the very few car-free experiences you can even have here in Lawrence. Um, you know, it's either the Loop or the levy and I don't have kids, but you know, if I did, I would imagine that would be the spot that I would almost have to go to, to, you know, teach them to ride. And, you know, I have a partner that's not as comfortable riding and, you know, Shero type streets. So it's this one of the few options I have, you know, to even get out and bike with her. So, I mean, that one's really important to me and I know to a lot of folks. Yeah, well, Jessica, I suggest we go on to the improvements. I think we did okay. pretty good covering all these. And I think it really starts to hone in the discussion. Um, we kind of, I heard some tips and bits of things I think that we should, that we should hear in terms of the next section. I'll ask um, Brad to move to the section of the screen. That's the questions are of the responses to the question that was asked, um, which is what are the two MMTC actions from 2021 that could have been improved either in process or outcome? Again, we provided a list to MMTC members of all of the agenda item topics that were from the 2021 agendas. Um, and we asked you, which action it was, and then to give a little feedback. And so um, we can maybe make that, I don't know if you can read that. If not, we can make that a little bit bigger. Okay. Um, but we'll, I'll just kind of scroll here through here a little bit, list some of these things. And then if um, you want an opportunity, let's talk a little bit about those. I think the idea behind identifying uh, why you felt what could have been improved either in process and outcome is to identify some things, maybe strategies or issues that we want to approach to improve those things, right? Um, and to understand what your perspective is in coming from that angle in terms of both staff working on these items, but maybe also uh, uh, transportation commissioners as well. Okay, so the first on the list, feedback on the neighborhood traffic management program pilot study documents, additional measures that include equity. We hear that we've, we've heard that and we can talk about that a little bit more, particularly in regard to school area traffic control policy in terms of new processor opportunities. Adult crossing guard relocation um, did not adequately address budget questions. We had sustainability on here in terms of climate action plan discussion. 2021-22 um, street maintenance program. Um, not on the list, but clarify the responsibilities of MMTC versus staff. Do we wade into staff responsibilities inadvertently? Um, complete approval of policy documents on signalized and non-signalized intersections as well as bike lane markings. So that process. Um, KDOT improvements to SLT brought in fairly late in process and were surprised by KDOT. Uh, concept design for Walker Roos drive reconstruction. I just don't think we, the shared use paths are the best way forward. So someone was 
undissatisfied with the indecision that MMTC had made. So those are the things that the four respondees um, had submitted of membership. Again, uh, remember that there may be other responses to that, but that kind of start the conversation. We can go through those item by item or however you want to you, you want to start, but we probably should kind of talk about each of those. Um, so maybe you want to start at the top of the list and talk about that. Okay, let's do it that way. It'll be really formulaic. Okay, so at the very, very top, feedback on neighborhood traffic management uh, program pilot draft study documents. So does anybody wanna talk about, you don't have to be the person who submitted this, although you can be, uh, about how you felt that process could have been improved either in process or outcome. Is it possible that whoever did this um, is not on the call currently? Yes, that is possible. Okay. So we can leave them if nobody has any other additional thoughts to it. Um, so just give it a second if nobody has anything. Uh, this is uh, Charlie Bryan. So uh, just to clarify, we're talking yeah. about the which draft documents, I guess I'm trying to get clear, is this for the work that was done in Old West Lawrence neighborhood, or is this the report on um, the safe neighborhood speeds campaign? Or is that I, all the same? Dustin, does one of those mean something to you in terms of which one you think that might be in reference to? Yeah, uh, the so the pilot, study would be the old west lawrence um, yeah okay Coleman project and I, I believe this is probably referencing we brought the um the application to the group before we put the application out to the neighborhoods yeah i don't know i think i you know that was a pilot and it was in part process of learning so i in my mind um a lot of that from our from my perspective our role was to you know, reflect on it, try to give you guys feedback before you jumped in feet first. And, you know, bless you for everything you've done because it feels like you probably learned a lot. And maybe there's work that we need to continue to do around the kind of the policy perspective about how that program gets um, carried forth. But it does seem, I don't know, I, I felt pretty satisfied. I don't know. I'm not sure. What about that was, I mean, maybe the outcome in the end felt disappointing, but at the time we had to decide on this, to me, it felt like everything looked up and up. There's some communication issues. I mean, I think this would be a great one to bring back to us to think about what's a, what are the improvement suggestions you guys have? Um, you know, I think, I've, I think we've had some dialogue about that. I, I know I had some ideas I shared at some point. And I believe that is a topic, not necessarily reflecting on the other one, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the packet, we talk about the 2022 neighborhood traffic management work plan recommendations as a future item. Mm -hmm. So that's in your uh, regular meeting agenda items. Yep. So I think we hear that though, in terms of seeing that, and I would expect that that will be part of the conversation because I think you're right, there have been lessons learned about our pilot into neighborhood traffic management. I'll just say it's better than what we were doing. 
you know, <laughs> well, with putting in a speed cushion here, there, having all, I mean, it just felt like that wasn't a very comprehensive way to address the issues. And I don't know, did we pass the, the 25 mile an hour speed limit thing? That was 2021. No one called that out as, a, as an accomplishment. This is this is uh, Pat Clad, uh, MMTC Commissioner. Um, I think that happened in 2020 at the end of okay. 2020 because when I came on, that was already that was already going, and okay. uh, then we moved to the you know to the discussion of the of the pilot, and, and like you said, it's a pilot, and you know there were lots of lessons learned, and it'll be good uh guidance for you know future future efforts and you know i mean the communication part of it um equity part of it you know community engagement and, um you know because i you know it seemed like in old west lawrence you know there were it seemed like and i don't know what the extent of that was that there was lots of community engagement but certainly if you followed the comments on lj world it wasn't uh people uh, took ownership of it whether they lived in that neighborhood or not so um you know we you know that's probably good to reflect on in terms of you know the perception of you know the impact uh, for the community at large thank you Mayak, chair mmtc that that echoes something that is kind of a common theme and i don't really think fits into a single agenda item that we can have as a bullet point here but it's something that i feel like as we've gotten a little bit more progressive and Hold, both on MMTC side and on staff side with solutions that we put forward. Um, I, I feel like we're kind of running into more and more public opposition. It's always hard to tell if this is a extremely loud minority of people or, you know, maybe there actually is a silent majority of people who just don't like stuff. Um, and I, I realize with some of these decisions, they fall into the camp of, for example, the adult crossing guard relocation is something I put down. I did not do a great job of looking into all the aspects of that. And then when it was finally published in the paper, I realized I did not look into the budget and I feel kind of silly about not doing that. But then other decisions like the neighborhood traffic management pilot program, it caused some discomfort, but I feel like it was the right move. And even though it was a pilot, it can be changed, but it, it it's a step in the right direction for that kind of mode shift that we keep talking about. I mean, we're trying to improve these metrics in T2050 or 2040 at the time. And it all kind of aligns with that. So I guess what I'm wondering is, do, do we as a commission feel like it's okay to keep forging ahead despite opposition if we feel that what we're doing is correct? Or do we always want to get some kind of approval to make sure that we don't have an, an unhappy public, you know? Were you looking for answers, Nick? Any reflection. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and if that's allowed, we can always hold that up later some other time yeah it probably needs to be held off i know our agenda is tight right now but the I, this is charlie Bryan. so my my initial reaction is uh we definitely cannot give up on this this is uh for all the years i've been involved um this community cares a lot about safety of their streets and their neighborhoods and you know we got to do more than put in speed bumps and we got to do a really good job of engaging the neighborhood and changes that they're going to have to deal with if we're trying to make their neighborhood safer. So we're making progress. I think community engagement is improved. That's why you're getting, you know, more on both sides, good and bad. Yeah, I agree. I do think that 
most part, you know, staff and MFT together, we do have some you know, very useful and progressive solutions that are moving the uh, on this. And, and I, for one, don't think that we should let a couple of particularly loud opponents wait us. I mean, perhaps that's old, but, you know, it's one of those things where, like, think Henry Ford said, you know, for all his faults and foibles, he was kind of right in one way. I think he said, like, if I had asked the public what they wanted, transportation would have said a faster horse. Nobody could have envisioned a car. So I think it's one of those things. Sometimes when you have a different vantage point, you can see the solution a little differently than those who are just kind of, you know, kind of involved tangentially. So that's my conviction, at least. But so we go on to the other bullet points at the risk of um, running over in time here. Yeah. You're fine. We have till 2.30, so please don't feel oh. rushed. And at some point, we might want to take a break because remember, we've moved from the 1.30 to 2.30 discussion. That's really about the discussion of the meat of this. So please don't, don't feel rushed. I think the key to this here is just making sure that we have an opportunity to chat about all the things that we've heard or that you want to talk about in terms of improvements and then kind of understand where the discussion is going to go next. So with that item in the sense of saying, you know, we recognize that it's on your future meetings list. That should be something that you can expect to see in part of the work plan that we talk about later this afternoon. So hopefully that's satisfactory kind of for that issue. I do agree. We're not going to bet all of these issues right now, but we do want to make sure if they are significant that they have a place in a conversation for a future item. Does that feel comfortable? Excuse me, I got a TC chair. Thank you for reminding me. I, I was confused on the schedule. For some reason, I thought both the pros and the cons were on the same item until 1.30, but now we got plenty of time. So, okay. We're good. That, is, we're that good. makes me feel a lot better. Okay. <laughs> I was so worried, at, at that point, if we want to, uh, you know, if we want to go on to one more item and then after that item, maybe take a break, give everybody a break. You've been sitting at that point for an hour and a half. That kind of feels comfortable. Uh, if yeah. that sounds okay, we'll talk about one more item and then do that. Is that all right? Yeah. So whose item was the equity one? Okay. Equity is next. You've, a couple of you have talked about it, um, but in relation to specifically equity being developed as part of school area traffic control and looking for more opportunities or ways to enhance the process. Do we want to talk about that? So this is Pat Collette. This was, this was mine again. And, um, you know, I think we did make a lot of progress in that way in 2021. And, you know, I just wanted to emphasize you know, looking for additional ways for it to be more explicit and, you know, and, and, and being clear in our decisions, how, you know, how, where it's appropriate that, that that's been considered. So it's, uh, it, it kind of tags on to what I said that had the most community impact, but that, you know, continuing that effort and get, you know, looking for ways to maybe be even more sophisticated about it in the, in the future. So we know, and I, and on the list, I would say there's probably many things, right? Because they have equity impact statements. That's while it's not a, its own separate set aside topic, um, there is work identified on the uh, futures agendas list that will include equity, particularly the component of updating the non-motorized prioritization policy. So that's on our radar, and I believe it will be part of many conversations. Is there anything else anybody would like to add to that at this point before we take a break? Excuse me, I can MTC chair. I, for one, would add that I'm really glad to see the equity statement on the agenda. I mean, it's not perfect, but I think we are moving in the right direction. It's like seeing the fiscal impact statement or 
if we have one in environmental statements, stuff like that to kind of let us know that there are more dimensions to this than just, you know, throughput and direct safety. Uh, Charlie, oh, Pat, were you going to go? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, I think, so I, I know we kind of made this commitment last year to try to further the this focus on equity. And I don't know where um, the city's work is really around addressing equity, but I know staff have been hired or um, I, I think the director and then a coordinator, not totally sure, but I'd, um, I'd be really curious how they're being integrated into like, or if they can be integrated into the multimodal um, staff team and, or maybe there's just some particular projects like the review of the non-motorized traffic um, prioritization policy. Like, is there a way to make that a little more um, sort of essential to some of our the work that we see coming in front of us this year. Um, it would just get us a little bit more um, familiar maybe with how the city is um, thinking about equity and how it plays out in decision-making. And then the other um, interest I'd have is how do we, how do we as a commission become more uh, versed in the equity kind of perspective that that you know the city might have like in terms of like is there training that the city offers that we should be availing ourselves of um, our advisory committees even being um, considered when it comes to uh, training I assume there's some level of staff training or or interest in that but it would seem also that advisory committees Maybe not all of them, you know, immediately, but I'd, I'd be willing to, you know, push for us to be a volunteer in that effort if if there's interest, uh, like thinking about training um, different advisory committees. I think that would be something we could really appreciate. Okay. And this is Jessica Mortinger for a point for a point of reference, Charlie, just for your information. Um, as staff are working on many of those items, it's been a staffing issue because there's only been one equity position at the city, but the expectation is through the efforts of the strategic plan that it really is the responsibility of all the staff to work on behalf of the initiatives, uh, which includes an outcome around equity in the strategic plan. And so um, we have as staff taken when we have things like square area traffic control or when we have things like even the previous prioritization for sidewalk improvement program since um, Beharis Mohammed has been here, we have taken and run um, um, many of those programs, policies, and project I ideas and formation um, in consultation with him and in regard to some national tools that are available, um, particularly one from the Governmental Alliance on Racial Equity about decision-making. It's part of the conversation that the subcommittee around equity um, had in terms of how some of those tools exist and how the larger city structure is going to incorporate some of that equity conversation because some, some of that belongs, you know, in the budget process and other processes out outside of MMTC role, but um, I think that's going to be continued conversation and we will, uh, now that there is additional staffing in that department, inquire with them about um, their possible role on the staff team. Okay. I, I know it's, that's a always a challenge, you know, it, 
any organization that's trying to make that kind of uh, adjustment, you know, it does take staff to to really see those priorities through. So um, I don't know the timing wise, you know, like when or if training would ever be available. If it's not something that is coming quickly with uh, from like the city side of it, maybe there's just a way we can um, just kind of put ourselves in that space to try to be more uh, intentional about learning about equity. Um, I don't know if that's just a matter of putting more study session topics related to equity or if there's anything else we can do, but if there were a committee that were to focus on equity this year, I th think, I mean, I'd be interested in being on such a committee. Um, I'd also kind of want to think about like, how do we become a little more um, tuned in to uh, equity issues that the community is surfacing? So if there were maybe a committee that had a um, some additional representation from um, the public, that might be a, a fruitful um, kind of way to move this idea forward. And I'm thinking a little bit about the unified command uh, decision that was made around the pandemic to institute an equity impact advisors committee. And those um, equity impact advisors were embedded in each of the branches of the unified command and were especially critical with the vaccination efforts that we did. So, you know, some of it's just resources. You got to find people willing to do that kind of work and um, but I think it would be fruitful for us. We'd, we'd probably all learn a lot from trying to be really intentional about engaging people that may not be ready to jump on the board or be on the commission, but they might be willing to serve in some kind of consulting role or training. So just some of my ideas. Thank you, Charlie. Is there any, I'm sorry, I just, I, just to think about being realistic here, is yeah. there any funding that could be available to help with um, like trying to bring on board equity impact advisors if we wanted to do something like that? Is there currently, there, Jessica Mortinger, uh, there is currently none that I know of. Um, but that could be a continued conversation, I think, in terms of city initiatives. I know mm -hmm. that public health at some at one point and part of that conversation was exploring even compensation for representation and what that looks like in compensating people in public processes that are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where that's going in the community, though. I haven't heard any updates uh, since I've just seen kind of some draft compensation documentation. So um, I think it's probably a continued conversation, um, especially internally at the city organization in terms of representing people in the process that are typically underrepresented. Um, it's one of the core values of the International Association of Public Participation, or IAP2, which the city has invested significant resources in uh, training staff and the expectation that staff would be IAP2 certified um, to do uh, more robust engagement. And I think that's probably a result of, Charlie, your reflection earlier about how the role of engagement has changed or intensified in some of the processes you've probably seen recently is some of that, that role. Internally, I think, 
uh, in the longer term, there's some documents that came have come out of that process that will lead to internal reflection of how some of those processes are led. So I think that's on the table. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your role in some of that conversation may or may not be in terms of um, just where it's at. Um, but I'm aware of some of those things. So I don't know if that helps. I think it's gonna have to be a continued part of the conversation as we talk about, we've amplified some voices, but are we amplifying the right voices or a good enough diverse representation of all the voices for to understand issues? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Is, is the timing uh, appropriate for us to uh, like try to, bring a proposal before the commission, the city commission to request funding to to start something that might be thought of as a pilot around um, hiring uh, equity impact advisors that we could consult with on our decisions. Uh, Jessica Moringer, I don't know enough about what's in process with all of the positions around community engagement mm -hmm. for what is planned or the roles of uh, within the diversity, equity, and inclusion office. So I would want to okay. follow up to understand kind of what that work plan is. And you know what I mean? In terms of maybe they already have something envisioned in that, in that realm. I don't know that. But okay. maybe that would be a you know, I, I wrote down as part of this conversation, um, consider additional equity study session. And I don't, and I think some of that might be education. Some of that may be opportunities to just even engage um, with Dr. Ferris Muhammad um, additionally. And I think we would need to do that for me to understand kind of what, how, how that role fit, you know, how our engagement around public engagement for transportation fits into some of the larger work that's happening around equity. Okay. Does that sound like a good approach? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's just always about I, patience and, you know, trying to balance like uh, when's the right time to be asking for things. And, you know, I know, especially, you know, given the newness of the staff positions in the city, like, I don't want to jump ahead of anybody's efforts, you know, so if, but I also recognize like how critical the equity impact advisors were during um, our pandemic response. And so uh, it seems like a, I mean, I don't want to be too simplistic, but it seemed like mostly you're gathering people that are willing to provide another perspective that, um, you know, it, I think in most cases was helpful. So it's not that complicated. So then it's a matter of, are we asking people to volunteer to do this or are we willing to actually compensate them and maybe that's a secondary issue um maybe there's a way just to get started by saying hey we need if if you're not if we can't find people to join the commission itself and with that commitment really then how do we how do we just find some volunteers to serve as an advisor to us um I'm just trying to be creative and think about how do we, what are the next steps we can take that are within our, you know, scope of control, I guess, um, that aren't, where we're not just sitting by waiting for sure. uh, others to do that work. Because I, I feel like, you know, this is work we all have to do and we're probably not going to get it right, but, but what's wrong is to just sit around. So we've got to do more than 
um, be bystanders, if that makes sense. I mean, it's part of how I think about our equity efforts in the community is often in the past we've felt like being a bystander was okay. But nowadays you have to be much more focused on um, trying to do something um, about inequities, not they aren't going to resolve themselves, especially if we're we're the ones perpetuating them, and you know whether we know that or realize it or not. So, I'd love to hear others' thoughts on this. This, this is uh, Pat Collette, Commissioner. Uh, as an interim step, I wonder if we there are some examples in peer communities, or maybe not even peer communities, maybe more progressive <laughs> communities for some online resources, you know, in terms of uh, processes that they have in place or online training kinds of opportunities that we could at least get 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 uh, started with, you know, I mean, the suggestions you've made, Charlie, I think are are really good ones and, and do need to be specific to, to Lawrence, but, you know, perhaps some of those external resources might help educate us a little bit more in that direction. If they exist, I kind of think they probably do, but um, I don't look specifically for those. Excuse me, MMTC chair. I would say in addition to training, we could take advantage of some of our open study sessions. At this point, there's not a lot planned for the rest of the year and maybe really use them as kind of a study thing. So perhaps having homework that would be reading up on a couple of selected articles, whether they be scholarly or more accessible about kind of past case studies of, you know, bad examples of equity in transportation, right? Like, um, for example, how how highways were put through, you know, primary neighborhoods in the 60s or, you know, something more along those lines, just so at least we're all starting with the same just historical information, you know, the best that we can find. And maybe read a couple of articles prior to the meeting and then discuss it over the course of the study session. I mean, it's it's not probably as directly useful training, but at least it can help fill in some of the background of information and is something that we could do ourselves in the meantime. So just throwing that out there. All right. Yeah. So I have so I have written down and I think we would then probably from this conversation consider a couple things. One, I think follow up with future study session topics around equity, whether that be exploring um, impact equi equity impact advisors. What does that look like in terms of volunteers versus compensation? Examples of programmatic for uh, equity and representation, maybe on MMTC, maybe that means in engagement um, voices, you know, for public engagement. And then additional resources or examples uh, to train members and looking at maybe that's like transportation equity best practices. So those are the types of like the three kind of conversations I have under equity in terms of study session items. Does that feel okay as a next step? Okay. All right. Does anyone else have anything to add to this conversation about equity? If not, I propose we take a five minutes, 10 minutes. How long do you need? Until 2.50 maybe? Or sorry. Okay. 
It's 150. Yeah, till 150. Okay. Um, we'll turn off our video for a second. We'll be back uh, in 10 minutes Sounds at good. 150. Thank you. Thanks. I'm back. All right. I don't know if anybody else does. All right. So we're welcoming people back. Are we ready to resume on the list of discussions um, where we were at, which is MMTC actions from 2021 that could have been improved either in process or outcome? And Brad has pulled up for us the screen of the responses. Um, we have talked about neighborhood traffic management and equity. Um, next on the list um, is adult crossing guard relocation. Did not adequately address budget questions. Nick, you mentioned that's yours. You want to talk a little more about that? Yeah. So, uh, Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC chair. This was something that just didn't sit particularly well with me because I didn't realize the extent to which I didn't understand the full situation until I started reading sort of, um, I guess, negative comments on social media and uh, traditional media. And I think the issue kind of came down to, I, I didn't necessarily understand the full budget implications that um, it's, it seemed during our talks that we were trying to save money on the crossing guards, but it wasn't necessarily clear why or how much or what the drivers were. And it wasn't until there was a whole lot of bunch of outcry. And again, not sure if it's a vocal minority or what, um, that I was like, wait, did this actually save money? Was it necessary? Could we have kept a couple more guards? And I think this is mostly on me and that I just didn't have enough information. As I looked through the old agenda, it was on March of 2021. I realized that the, the financial, or I guess the, the fiscal impact statement was basically just unapplicable. Um, so I think maybe that could have been done a little bit more um, in detail. So I could have had more information up front. And um, again, this is mostly on me. This is stuff I, I could and should have asked, asked for up front if it had mattered. Um, I just didn't realize how much it mattered until the aftermath. So um, I don't know if this is necessarily something that needs to be kind of a long drawn out discussion simply because things are trending in the right direction. We know more about the fiscal impacts of our decisions these days. And I think now that staff has made it clear that we should probably be asking for more information up front. Um, I'm not particularly worried about this being repeated in the future, at least not from. Okay. Anyone else have any other thoughts about that? Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I do remember um, in our discussion trying to, uh, I, I know I was curious about what the, um, the funding for that position, <clears throat> how it was going to be used or if it was already budgeted. But I, I agree with you, Nick, it was, it didn't seem entirely clear. I just remember having some questions about it because I, I was assuming the position was already funded. And so, um, I don't know, I, it's not really our decision about how much money gets put aside for the crossing guard um, budget, but it, it does seem 
I don't know. Interesting to think about that is the investment of that program meeting the needs of the community has. And, you know, primarily that's about getting kids safely to school. And is that kind of like the neighborhood traffic management? Is there a need to be more, um, to think broader about what funding is needed to support that goal? And are crossing guards the only intervention that can be used to support the goal? There was discussion um, a while ago, and I'm assuming on the current uh, Safe Routes group, there's probably discussion about these different ideas, but there are in some communities, coordinators um, at schools that are responsible for uh, essentially putting together uh, walking school buses. And so essentially that's a supervised walk to school program. Uh, kids have a schedule of when they get picked up by uh, uh, typically like a volunteer who makes, you know, schedule just like a regular bus would. And as they assemble this long group of kids, you know, they, they walk them all to school. And so you have kind of a crossing guard uh, type of a person built into that process because, you know, they're going to help ensure that traffic sees what's happening and um, that the kids know what's going on before they start to cross streets. The benefit is they then are able to help them across multiple streets. So I've always thought that's probably a better use of $100,000 in a budget. You know, it might also provide more flexibility. And if you thought every school deserves a, you know, coordinator, uh, $10,000 per person per year, I don't know, that's probably too much money, but like, what's the cost? I think Columbia, Missouri is the one that had done this really well with an organization called PedNet that um, brought a lot of attention to, you know, their success around safe routes to school because of that in pro program in particular. And it got a lot of uh, attention by the real estate industry in that community because they marketed it as part of what makes their community attractive. Uh, just like, you know, people talk about neighborhood schools being attractive for Lawrence. But imagine if we had neighborhood schools and really robust uh, walking school buses. Who doesn't delight in seeing a bunch of kids walking to school in the morning, right? So, and as a parent, I'd be more comfortable sending my, you know, when my kids were younger, I'd be really comfortable saying, hey, you know, yeah, you can join the walking school bus. And I trust that the program is supervised properly and the volunteers involved are trained. And I kind of think in my mind, like maybe that's a better way to help kids cross multiple streets on their way to school. So, and I, I don't know if that even is a, there's an option to have that kind of discussion because it feels like the adult crossing guard program is so kind of stuck in the way it always has been that it doesn't, there's not a lot of opportunity to reconsider what's the best way to deploy, you know, $100,000 or whatever the budget might be. Um to ensure safety for our kids that are walking to school. Okay. Do you have another question on adult crossing guards or? I think those are pretty good points that we should keep in mind for the next time of, of in our agenda. 
but is there anything else that we wanted to discuss before we move on to the sustainability one? I'm I'm honestly pretty interested to that. No full point. Okay. Oh, this is Damon. I'll jump in. This next one was mine. Um, and I, you know, I had only joined on in October, so I didn't have a lot to pick from, but uh, the sustainability, um, uh, when Jasmine Moore came and presented, you know, I think the draft or maybe it was just the, the process for putting together the climate action plan. Um, but yeah, I, I um, I know there wasn't like really a concrete action that we're kind of working towards on that one, but you know, since I have joined, I feel like we do lack some measurable, measurable, goal, measurable goals, um, you know, that we're shooting for on this commission. And I think sustainability, uh, is, is a focus that has a lot of different metrics, you know, that we could be keeping track of and, you know, targets to aim for and aspire to. Um, and again, I know, I know we didn't really have that um, in mind for that meeting, but, you know, I, I just look back at that discussion as being, you know, not as robust as I, I think that was my first meeting too. So I'm probably at fault for, for not chiming in, but. Excuse me, I got MMTC there. Thanks for your, uh, input on that. I was really curious to see who would come up with this one. I kind of assumed it was Charlie, but I was off. I um, The reason I was curious about this one is because I also felt like that there wasn't really much of an action item for us. And I think because of that, I wasn't really sure how to engage. It really felt like just an informational meeting. Um, and I kind of lump it in with the, pres the presentation of the sustainability, or sorry, the strategic plan from Craig Owens in that it's like, thank you for the information. I'm not sure what you're asking of us, just telling us that this exists. It didn't feel like there was much of an opportunity for engagement, honestly. And perhaps that's where the missing piece was that we could have pushed for more engagement and say how, you know, like you're saying, how, how can we help you, right? Um, even if they didn't come out and say that. So I don't know, um, in the future when we receive these kind of presentations, would it be a good practice to have that as sort of a stock question maybe and say, all right, great. How can we help you? Is there anything that you want from us? Maybe try to draw it out of them because otherwise I feel kind of shiftless, you know? Yeah, for sure. This is this is Colette, Commissioner. You know, I think that could be said of a lot of our study sessions, you know, and I think that, or at least with my, my experience and maybe that's my fault as chair, but I think maybe setting up the expectation for the presenter ahead of time you know, to present us with, you know, some expectations or, you know, some measurable step or some steps that we can take going forward, you know, based on their knowledge in their area and how, you know, how MMTC might uh, further those goals. But, you know, not hitting them with the question <laughs> at the study session, but giving them a chance to, to reflect on it and and come to the meeting with the expectation of having that kind of a discussion. I mean, certainly the information is important because a lot of times it's presenting us with some things that we didn't know, but leaving a portion of the study session for that kind of a discussion and but programmed in up front. That sounds like a potential good action item for myself and Damon in the future to kind of make sure that we talk about that during our agenda 
plenty of meetings with Dave. So, um, yeah, thanks for the question there. Jessica Mortinger, it also sounds like it may be appropriate to add an update or an additional conversation with the change in staff. And as that process progresses, where they're at in that process, that there could be an opportunity to invite them back and take that opportunity to re-engage in that conversation um, this year as that plan is being developed. That's a really good idea. And that's sort of what happened in 2019, I think, when Jasmine had just recently started. Uh, she came to our retreat, kind of introduced herself and here's what's going on, here's what I want to work on. So I, yeah, I think this is a pretty great opportunity to get a second chance <laughs> with the next uh, sustainability director. All right, next on the list, 2021-22 um, street maintenance program and feedback on bikeway improvements. So somebody said this could be improved or in process or outcome. Who had this and what do, what do you wanna talk about? Again, it's possible that could have been somebody not here. So if anybody doesn't have anything, we can continue to move on. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's specific enough for me to really feel one way or another on it. So Okay. Well, again, that will be a list on the action this year. Again, uh it's an annual program. So that will there will be an opportunity to talk about that. Next on the list is um clarify MMTC versus staff. Do we wade into staff responsibilities inadvertently? This is Pat Collette. This is this was my item, and um, you know, just my way of you know, some thinking about some of our discussions during the meeting, and um, you know, sometimes felt like we were maybe getting into the weeds more than um, more than expected, or maybe you know, more than staff was expecting. I'm not sure. You know, I did get a little bit of that that feedback and so i think you know just like you know um you know there I, there are some differences in responsibility and i think maybe understanding those expectations a little bit more clearly up front would benefit the discussions of within our meetings and and maybe help to manage those meetings a little bit better you know in terms of what what it is that we're actually responsible for doing and which things are the staff actually responsible for doing. Thank you, Ms. Mayak, MMTC Chair. I'll just jump in and take a, a fairly full responsibility for that. I uh, I can understand that as, as somebody who is technically minded in my day-to-day -day job, it's kind of hard for me to break away from that sometimes, especially when I feel like the longer I'm on here and the more experience I have with the various terms and practices and, and policies, it's much easier to engage on level it's been very helpful to kind of get get the reminder that staff is here to help and that we can ask before the meeting so i i'm personally going to set a goal for 2022 to do a lot better at asking for technical information up front so if it doesn't matter i can get my answer and we can move on but if it does matter we can bring it up for discussion so um yeah that's a that's not going goal for mine and i appreciate that you recognize that as kind of a general goal as well so agree there but and i you know i don't think that you know i mean we all may not be quite clear on that you know in terms of you know separating the the policy and the you know the you know more on the policy side more um 
you know, that that kind of uh, direction and the kind of decisions that we should be making. Uh, but like you say, Nick, needing, you know, we do need some of that technical information, but um, that that can be things that we can get in advance so that that doesn't bog down the meeting too much that, you know, that we're actually able to move forward on our on our agenda and get get more accomplished, event, you know, as a result of that. I don't think it's just you. <laughs> I think I think you know we all you know and and the discussion is is interesting you know and we get involved in that and you know and then you know it takes up a lot of time. But I appreciate your charitable description of it being interesting. I I realize for some folks that certain you know nitty gritty details are probably like I really don't care what this means honestly. You know as long as we get it done and we get you know the correct users involved, good enough, right? So yeah, I can understand, but. Thank you for the additional details. Charlie, look like you're about to. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. So this is always a moving target in my mind. Like the work that <clears throat> we do is different today than it was um, when this group started. So I think, um, you know, there used to be a, uh, a role that, like one of the predecessors of this commission was the traffic safety commission. And so um, they're, they really did sort of a, the, they were the final step of a staff process that led to then the recommendation to the city commission around putting in speed um, control devices, like, you know, speed humps and such. So, <clears throat> We didn't want to deal with that. We wanted to think more broadly around policies and let staff just handle that. And, um, you know, I think that was the right move. So I think this is one where we're just going to always probably step on someone's toes on occasion and we have to back out and just be gracious with each other. The For me, the more important thing is to recognize how we fit into the broader process of um, allowing staff to engage with the public in a reasonable way that doesn't derail their process too much, but, you know, prepares the way for the city commission to make its decisions. And we create a space for that um, public uh, process. And it's a preview of what might then go before the city commission. Um, so sometimes the public gets in the weeds. And so when we get in the weeds, I think we're reflecting the public's interest in the weeds. Um, that'll be right in front of the city commission a week or so later. So I feel like we don't, we can't always say this is where we don't get involved because ultimately the city commission is gonna have to deal with some of the messiness that um, comes before them. And and we're, we're a chance for at least them to see that what's kind of coming down the um, down the way. So um, like the 19th Street project to me is one of those, Nick, you were really questioning uh, assumptions that staff had that, you know, I think, well, gosh, there's a staff policy around how we design our roads. And, you know, you were asking some tough questions about like, why is that the policy? Um, and you do that, I think, in a good way, because it, it challenges, um, you know, our community to think about what's the best way to build these roads and are we are we making the best decisions? So, I don't know. I guess I say that because 
I feel like this is going to always be a moving target and we just need to be, um, you know, kind to each other. Um, and you know, when you feel like you've overstepped, everybody just has to say, all right, thanks, Nick. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm sure I do the same. Cause I, I remember some times when I've been pretty, um, pretty tough on, you know, like, what's the data that's being brought to the table for the decision around 19th street. And I didn't feel like the neighborhood's interests were being reflected in that data. So um, anyway, I just, I guess this to me is like, it's a public process It's going to be messy. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're maybe overstepping, but at the end of the day, we got to help the city commission make best decisions for the public. Nick I'm TC chair. I feel like that really rounds up the discussion. Um, originally, when Pat was speaking, I thought, yeah, I could definitely do better about not hanging Louise too much. But what you're saying is that the, 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 I guess the usefulness of the weeds depends on the context of the situation. Like if the public cares, we should probably care too. If they don't care, maybe it isn't our place, right? So I think the answer is twofold in that I, I and others who get really technical should definitely take better advantage of staff's time prior to the meeting to make sure that we don't bog down too much, but there are some deep details that arise in the course of discussion that are worth um, pursuing a little bit longer, as long as we recognize the you know civility clause, right, and being able to cut each other off if, if need be. Um, so sure. I would say overall, the civility of this group has been pretty admirable. I'm currently in a, this is kind of a tangent here, but um, my new co-housing community I live in on the east side of Lawrence has monthly meetings very similar to this. and. I gotta say, we're not nearly as civil to each other as we are on this city where we where we don't know each other anything, right? Like we're not neighbors. Well, some of us are. <laughs> we're generally not neighbors, so it's not like we're gonna be running into each other at the mailroom and have to maintain cordiality at all times. So I think it's 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 been very refreshing so far to have generally a really good atmosphere of civility, even between us and staff as well. Um, so kind of pat ourselves on the back there, but yeah. Yeah. This is this is Pat Collette, Commissioner. You know, Charlie, I think that example that you gave of 19th Street was, you know, in that example, that was an underlying policy and and addressing what it is, you know, I mean, addressing the policy itself and, you know, whether that continues to, you know, be a, be appropriate. And, and it, I, I think, it, you know, I, I, my comment was not to say that, you know, there's anything clear cut I think just, you know, being aware of that. And like you said, Nick, you know, as far as making use of staff ahead of time where we can, but yeah, there's certainly situations which may appear being into the weeds, but really it's getting to a policy question that is appropriate for MMTC commissioner. So, it, you know, it's not, it's not easy to, I mean, there's no bright line between, <laughs> as far as I know anyway, between commissioners and staff, but just, just being, just being aware of that question and, you know, and, and thinking about, you know, is, is, is this a direction we need to spend a lot of time with, and, or is it just out of personal interest that we want to, that we want to talk about it more, so. All right. Thank you. I think that kind of clarifies some things. And again, it gives us some groundwork to continue to move forward as we work on balancing those issues. 
Um, there's three more items on the list here for discussion and then one more question in this topic. We have 15 minutes, so I just want to point that out um, as we get into that. Um, the three remaining are the complete approval of policy documents on signalized, non-signalized intersections. Um, I can see how that people thought that might want to be improved or the outcome changed. That's a work, that's a future work item. So I don't know how much more you want to talk about that in terms of where you got. Um, anyone? This is Pat Collette again. This that was mine, and I guess you know, it just sometimes it just takes longer to do things than than you wish it would, you know. And so, you know, I'm really happy you know that we that we you know we're seeing some good movement on that that there's a consultant involved now and um you know it's just kind of this was kind of an underlying topic all year uh that we can't kind of kept trying to wrap our heads around and get get some movement on it and you know it just felt like it took longer but but i do feel like now you know we, it's gotten attraction and and again this is an example of just recognizing limitations on staff time and being able to you know to understand that that's that's a reality and that we can't make you know can't make everything happen as fast as we might like to so just an area for improvement but it's happening so sound good to everyone all right um, the last two, KDOT involvement, KDOT improvement, excuse me, to SLT brought in fairly late in process and were surprised by KDOT drivers. All right, so this was my one, sorry, Nick Kuzmik, MMTC, MMTC chair. Um, this one was kind of interesting because I think some of the, of the on-ramps and off-ramps and you know, changes we were kind of uh, familiar with. But then when we saw the 31st in Iowa one, that was kind of surprised because there was going to be an improvement where there didn't really seem to be an improvement. And when pressed further, KDOT mentioned that, well, that there was planned development, you know, in the southeast corner here. And we thought, really, is there? I thought it kept getting projected by planning commission and city commission. So that was kind of surprising that they had gone this far and done this much work with information that was maybe not fully up to date. Um, so I, I don't really know how to improve this point exactly. Um, or if I'm even perceiving it correctly. So I'd be interested in others, um, I guess, account of this and see like, is this just a classic case of how early do we get involved in something? I don't know. Um, it just seemed like there was kind of a miscommunication on this one. Well, I guess it, from my process, we can ask Dave, but I think that for KDOT's facilitating some process around their environmental impact statement thing. And so that project in terms of being brought in late, that is a separate project, right? As KDOT is the, is the lead sponsor of that project that is identified in our long range transportation plan. Although some of the specifics, um, not in detail, right? Because they're determining that as part of their EIS work. Um, and I think, regardless of the community conversation of where it had landed with that development, there's still a de development process in process that a, a, another version of it in process that KDOT is negotiating through. And I, I think they're probably speaking on behalf of some of the, in good faith on some of those conversations that were happening as part of a new process that had not gone back before elected officials. And again, like a round two. Is that correct? Yeah, I would just add just to, I mean, each each area of how the uh, SLT connects to the city has different 
has been discussed in different pieces and phases. So for 31st in Iowa, there was a conversation a couple of years ago with the potential development there and um, and and providing access that the, that the state uh, w was not going to require. Uh, was not going to allow the access to directly to the um, to Iowa without doing the interchange improvements there. So KDOT's uh, anticipating that if at some point that does move forward, that the interchange will be able to handle that design. But other than that, yeah, as Jessica mentioned, there's, KDOT will have a continued public process after the completion of the uh, SEIS um, here this spring as they move forward with more detailed design of all of the city connections to the to the SLT. So um, that I don't, I don't know. I can't say we I wouldn't say we were late in the process or kind of at where we typically would start discussing these things with when we have what we call like field check plans or things on paper that we can start seeing and digesting and then asking uh, or, you know, working with our state partners to accommodate our, our plans and, and, and try to identify improvements for uh, connections. So those conversations will be ongoing and really uh, probably more in depth discussions here as we get through this year. And we'll probably have some presentation at some point um, from KDOT back to, back to, back to the city on, um, on plans and, and timing of improvements. So, uh, uh, Charlie, Brian, MMTC, I think Nick, this is one of those where their, their process is probably so foreign to us that when we're engaged, it, feels um, discombobulated and they're, you know, trying to just bring it down to like our local level with the MPO. It takes a long time for people to figure out what the MPO does, how it does it. And it, that process is highly structured. And once you get familiar with the patterns and, and you can kind of get ahead of it and know like, you know, yeah, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But with KDOT, I'm, I'm assuming they are going through a very similar process as the MPO, and it's hard to fully understand it. Um, they are probably doing this same thing all over the state of Kansas. And um, part of it is, you know, we just don't understand that process very well. And thinking about any project that comes before us, there's always been that frustration around like what is the right time for our involvement and how do we feel really prepared to know um, enough about the project to give good feedback or um, help the city commission make the decision that ultimately goes before them. I don't know. I, I, this does seem like a pretty significant project. It's going to impact our community in a, in a big way, especially um, kind of extending that Wakarusa connection across, uh, you know, where it goes to 27th Street and such. So <clears throat> it seems like a really big project. Yeah, the Iowa interchange also obviously big, but I, I don't know. I wonder if there's a lot we could do to change it. It doesn't, to me, I'm not sure there's much we can do. Um, Ultimately, I would hope that 
somehow were consulted in, in an adequate way that it helps the city commission make the decisions they have to make about the project. So I don't know what that, what, how we can best do that, but I would hope that, you know, things always come to us maybe just ahead of their schedule. I don't know if that's always guaranteed or not, but it feels like at least that gives the city commission a preview. Um, I feel like there has been times when the city commission is the, you know, they get it directly before we or in, in, in place of us ever seeing it. And perhaps that serves them well, but if it doesn't, um, having us as kind of the prelude makes sense to me. Even if we're not feeling like we completely understand what's going on, at least it provides the <laughs> kind of like the trailer, I guess, for the movie that's going to come before the city commission. Thank you, Mr. I'm TC chair. Yeah, I suppose given the different planning process that's kind of opaque to us at the KDOT level, there's probably only so much more we can do. I mean, I would say in a perfect world, given the feedback that I've heard from various leaders around the Walker Roost extension and the kind of pre-planning for that development at K10 and, um, and Iowa Street, it, it, it seems like not everybody is on board with this necessarily. Some were kind of surprised by it. I know I should have known about it because it is on our, I guess, future streets plan. But I guess in an ideal world, like I was going to say, um, it would be nice to kind of know at, at the beginning, like, we are planning on putting a street through here in the next few years. Let's talk about it now, maybe before we get a, you know, concept design simply because it's in such a new area that there's really no precedent. It's not like we're replacing something that's already here. Like this is a completely new street because that also involves planning commission. I mean, if, if there's going to be a whole lot of new land open to development um, or even just a little bit of land, that that's in their territory as well. And I feel like bringing them in early would kind of help they like, is this really in line with plan 2040? Is this really where we want to be expanding to? This is, you know, are we sure this is the tier one growth area, for example? So um, I don't really know any good suggestions on going forward, only that we'll, just, I guess, do our best to kind of stay abreast of what KDOT's doing and what our future plans are, really. Charlie, Brian, MMTC, it would help me maybe to understand, like, what uh, what authority does the city commission have in um, this project? Or are we literally basically being consulted on a project that the state intends to do regardless of the will of the city of Lawrence. Does anybody have an answer to that? That's a loaded question, but I would say, um, <laughs> you know, we're partners with KDOT, you know, we're, we interact with them. We're, we're, we're making sure that their improvements and where they're making improvements follow our plans for extending streets, providing infrastructure, uh, crossings, safer crossings. Um, I, I don't, I would say we can't, the, the city, it's their, it's, it's a state project. So I don't know if this, the city has the ability to, to uh, say, you know, we could say don't go through with it, or we got to have some influence there on what they do, but it's ultimately um, a state, a state project. So mm -hmm. we, we do want to collaborate with the state. And I think there's uh, obviously some mutual benefits to improving the highway. And it's um, I, so I, 
you know, again, that's a tough question to ask, but, you know, they'll provide an update. They'll have a public process. They, they the state heard a lot of uh, feedback from the neighbors north of um, K-10 and Wakarusa in that Stoneback area. And, and, and KDOT's kind of look, re-looking at, at how they tie in there. So there's, there are things that they, that I can tell you, they're listening to feedback they get, the, st the state is, and they're, um, you know, you're trying to be a partner in this. With and the, the MPO is a partner in this too, in the sense mm -hmm. that the MPO has a role in the long range plan and uh, we're, the city is a partner with KDOT, but also with the MPO in ensuring that the work we're doing to lay out that foundation of, of long range planning supports the assumptions we're making in the comprehensive plan um, when we have the chance to update that. So some of it ties back into longer range times as Charlie talks about some of the structure that the MPO has in timelines for planning process. Additionally, sometimes KDOT asks for local commitment and that's opportunities that the locals have additionally to leverage uh, local desires in process in terms of thinking about the Bob Billings and K-10 interchange um, when that was reconstructed and um, the city county commitment to that project. I don't remember, million dollars, million, million and a half, million yeah. and a half, where the city contributed local money to that project. And as a result to achieve the bike pet improvements they wanted over that uh, over that bridge. So there is opportunities and there is collaboration and there is sometimes financial exchange that also impacts how projects end up on the ground in construction. Is that financial, uh, Charlie Bryant of MTC, is that a, uh, is the city and the county, are they con expecting to contribute to this project? Uh, we um, don't know yet. Okay. We're, we're going to have those conversations. I, the state is uh, overall under the transportation program is looking for local contributions to move projects forward to construction. Mm -hmm. And so we do have the city and the county have a project in the CIP to extend Wakarusa to the south. So that's uh, we have funds to do design this year and construction um in 2024, we'd like to tie that to the uh, KDOT project to get some economies on that. And so there's, um, we would have some participation in that, but that that's not directly tied to the uh, K-10 improvements at this point. But that's a conversation that we're going to be, that we need, that, that we're going to be having. And if, um, you know, for instance, we talked about the bike crossing at Iowa, putting in a bridge or tunnel in, um, that that might be one of those discussion points that we may need to contribute some local funds to upgrade that that crossing. And then how does that how does that fit into the prioritization of all the other improvements we want to make uh, throughout the community? Is it should we take advantage of the timing of that and what the cost is? And those are things that we're going to be having discussions on with KDOT as we move forward with the design. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, you mentioned the, the crossing of Iowa. That that's a, I mean that's a huge um, issue we all recognize for the Lawrence Loop. So it does feel like if working with them uh, advances that, that it'd be certainly worth it. I don't know if we have to give give up that. Uh, <laughs> Nick seems resistant to development south of Iowa Street, but or south of uh, K ten, but if if um, building a bigger intersection or interchange that ensures increased safety for people that are on the loop so they don't have to cross that grade, that would 
that would be a pretty good um, trade-off in my mind. All right. Thanks, Nick. MMTC Chair. Just quick on process. I realize we're at 3.30. Is there any way that we can kind of go a few minutes over or are we pretty tight on time? No, we're fine. Our next item on the agenda is a 10-minute break, which we've already taken early. So we can, if you want to finish up this discussion, and then we can take a, you know, maybe a five-minute break or wait till after Becky's presentation. Let's see where we are. Let's go ahead and finish this up and just be cognizant of the fact that we're over. I think we only have a couple more things. I'm not sure how much discussion you'll want to have. Yeah, um, um, this, I just had a quick thing to add just in, just in case of um, possibility for putting this on the parking lot later, but um, kind of related to the KDOT versus local wishes discussion, a couple um, news items that have come out recently, mostly in the state of Texas, have indicated to me that though the city and MPO can be collaborators with the state transit agency, it doesn't appear that they have any final say. Like if KDOT wants something to happen, they are going to make it happen. And I don't know if they have the same overlord power that TxDOT has, but TxDOT recently reappropriated an entire street from San Antonio, after San Antonio decided to start doing road diets and slowing the cars and adding development, fixed use. Uh, TxDOT said, nope, that is not our best interest. Sorry, it's, it, this comes back to us now. So I don't know if KDOT is quite that dictatorial, but I guess that kind of relationship gives me a little bit of pause for uh, future talks with KDOT. And so I don't know um, if, if it's really as true here as it is in Texas. So. I have personally, just Jessica Mortinger, personally found the relationship to be quite collaborative with KDOT and haven't experienced any of that. But we would have to get legal involved to understand how all of that is legally structured on the back end in terms of how all of that works. I think it's in the best interest of everyone to continue to collaborate and move forward in that way. Yeah. Okay. That's good enough for me for now. Um, yeah. I say let's probably okay. move on to this last one then. Yep, the last item we have here is just some dissatisfaction about the shared use path as the design option for the concept design for Walker Roosa Drive. I don't know how much you want to delve into that. That was a pretty site specific issue. Um, whether that goes, it meets the goals, but doesn't meet the intent of legitimate transportation. So any thoughts about that? Thank you, Mr. MMTC Chair. I feel like this might be a personal opinion simply because the debate that we had over this item was kind of split a little bit over should we do shared use paths or should we do separated bike tracks? So can't make everybody happy all the time. Um, and I think it's just an opportunity to realize that even though we seem to have a united front most of the time, so that was not the case in this, in this particular agenda item. Okay. This is uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I mean, I didn't write this one, but I can certainly appreciate it. There's, I think this is that challenge around building bicycling infrastructure that supports the needs of of the people that are you know reluctant um to go on streets and you know this was in my perfect world we would have both because i think that um you know my opinion is it it actually is safer to ride along the roadway um you know not having to go through intersections on um on shared use paths, but, you know, I can also appreciate that that's perhaps safer for some users or at least perceived as safer for some users. So 
this is one of those, you know, maybe in another 10 years, we'll have some more information, but to engage, uh, to, to try to get to a goal of getting more people to be, be comfortable riding their bikes in our community, they are going to need shared use paths and shared use paths work in other parts of town. Um, Clinton Parkway in particular is a good example um, where there's no bike path um, or bike lane on the road. So I feel like it isn't like we're doing something that hasn't been done before. Um, people ride on those shared use paths seemingly okay. So, and we don't have enough money to build everything for everybody. <laughs> so, right away, uh, that what's that? Or the uh, sheer amount of right away that would be required for that either. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the conflict with, you know, pedestrians having to cross even wider streets. So, All right. Well, that kind of wraps up. Was there anything else anybody wanted to talk about process? I think we talked about a lot of different issues. There wasn't much duplication between anybody, which I thought was fascinating. Um, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. So I've, I've appreciated over the years that we have created um, committees, you know, as needed. And I think um, what I guess I wonder is, is that is there some benefit to um, being perhaps a little more formal in in that um, expectation of service on committees? And I know a few of us kind of get put on committees more often than others, and I don't know if um, how everyone would feel about you know if we expected people to serve on if we had standing committees that were tasked with different things every year, if that would be too much to ask. But I, I feel like sometimes the work, to advance the work, we need to be willing to commit a little bit more than we do when we just convene as a full commission once a month. So it's just kind of around like, what are what do we expect of each other in order to best um, support the community's decision-making around transportation? Can we can we save that conversation for our conversation about the 2022 work plan? Sure. Okay, because I wrote yeah. down already subcommittees and equities at the top of the list, and I think that'll be a really good role in terms of thinking about even all the MPO committees. And I'm thinking transit, yeah, route redesign, pedestrian plan, MMT. You know, yes. like what what is the how how does that look? Do you know what I mean in terms of expectations as part of the work also? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's kind of it. We we certainly do a lot of this, but I don't know that we've ever got it like laid out in front of us as, hey, this is our work and let's actually commit to it and share it. And yeah. Yeah. And that make take some more intentional work even in the work, even in your work goals and objectives, I think, to think mm -hmm. about some mm -hmm. of that maybe. So, okay. If nobody has anything else, we'll go to the next question, which was 100% unanimous. Do you have enough information on the agenda items prior to the meeting? All four people said sometimes. <laughs> which, that's kind of a leading question, but we did ask after that, um, if you did not, do not, if you indicated no or sometimes, what are you missing? Um, and so I thought this was 
pretty clear, but we can talk about, you have somebody waiting. Um, we can talk about any of these really quickly. We have Becky joining us just now. So let's not take more than maybe five minutes unless there's something really big and we can talk about this more. So online map tool. So for example, if data is mentioned in the staff memo, it should also be available on the map. We should probably think about training for new members again on some of those tools and all of that. So I think in terms of whether that be a work session or just some training we do. Um, Helpful to put more emphasis on calendar topics that come before MMTC throughout the year with links to relevant documents. Remind MMTC at the end of the meeting when looking at the calendar to begin reviewing documents. I think the current practice has been to wait till the agenda is posted and to look at the agenda items and perhaps supporting documents. Just as staff, I respond to this and mostly thought to Dave like, usually stuff is not necessarily ready before it's on the agenda. So. Um, I think we can reflect on that and find opportunities where it may be already exist there um, to give you to like link some items on the agenda to web to web links or that and remind you, but I'm not sure that there's maybe many of those opportunities where content already exists that we're not, you know, finishing to present to you. Um, nothing I couldn't likely uh, obtain by asking for clarification. So we want to remind you, I think this is a good point for everybody that if you need clarification on an agenda item, you can email staff before the event that gives them a heads up to prepare materials that they may not be prepared to bring to the meeting and also uh, read, make sure it get, gets mentioned in, uh, uh, to everyone. Uh, so that can sometimes help in the process probably of uh, the discussion. Um, sometimes there's project history is needed to fully understand where we are and how we got here. That probably comes a lot back to planning and CIP, um, just in staff memos, so we can kind of reflect on that. Is there anything kind of specific to any of those things we'd like to talk about in a couple minutes? Okay. I think that gives mostly to staff some feedback that we can try to be more reflective about the material that is being prepared uh, for your consumption. Uh, this is Charlie, um, MMTC. So, uh, I put down the one about the map tool. I think it's been uh, great to have that. And there, you know, I appreciate when there's something I'm looking for, you guys are pretty quick to address it. So I just, I feel like that's one of those tools that will just keep evolving. And um, it seemed to me just a, a practical um, kind of process would be like, yeah, if we're discussing it in a memo, is that something that we are sharing already in the in the map tool? One thing that comes to mind as you review this, Jessica, is as we get more familiar with the city's efforts to track its strategic plan progress, maybe there's a way to uh, insert the relevant performance indicators, um, you know, into the memos, which just helps us better frame like, oh yeah, we're this this relates to something that the city um, has identified as a priority, a strategic priority, and um, just keeps it more front of mind. I, I don't know how difficult that would be to do, but kind of like adding that equity um, statement into our agendas uh, or our staff memos, maybe this is just another um, kind of technical way to bring that information to us. Yeah, and I think some of that may be coming in terms okay. of just future changes and ties to commitment areas and performance. I would say as that process develops citywide, I think we're probably moving in some of that direction. So 
I think we can be thoughtful about all of those things. Okay. All right. Please don't feel like if you're missing something during the year that you can't ask. This is not a one point in time conversation. And so um, reaching out helps us all be reflective, you know, for even new members who aren't here and to have that conversation. So especially as we have a lot of new members, I think that particularly matters. So Brad, I'll have you stop sharing. Becky, I saw you joined us. Sorry, we're a couple minutes behind. everybody okay if we let Becky have her uh, 15-20 minutes and then take a break after that? As long as everybody's okay. All right. Becky, I'll go ahead and let you. Uh, we'll, we have the topic on for orientation on land development code update. And we're happy to have you to tell us a little more about that. Well, thank you. I, I Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me, uh, inviting me here on, uh, to speak with you all. Thank you also for um, pushing your break back a little bit. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I will try and make this quick then to, so that you guys can have that much anticipated break, I'm sure. Um, so uh, as Jessica stated, my name is Becky Pepper. I'm the planning manager in the planning division. And um, uh, just here today to give you kind of a, an update on our um uh, revision to the land development code that we'll be working on soon. Um, before I start that, I just kind of wanted to give a, a little bit of background on the current land development code. Um, some of you may know that the, the land development code is is the, the guidance that provides the um, standards and regulations that pertain to um, all of the public and private development in the city. Um, it's it's a code that was adopted in 2006. And like I said, it, it applies to the city, but it does also contain the subdivision regulations. Um, which are uh, for the city of Lawrence and also the unincorporated areas of Douglas County. Uh, stated in the Land Development Code, the purpose is that it's to implement the comprehensive plan um, and also protect, enhance, and promote the health, safety, and general wel welfare of the citizens of Lawrence. Um, the Land Development Code contains some specific guidance um, for development projects. For example, um, it tells us the density and dimensional standards and the land uses that are permitted in various zoning districts. Um, it also provides some specific site requirements, such as um, landscaping requirements, outdoor lighting. Um, and there are also some transportation-related items as well. Um, those, can, those include um, guidance on what's the required bicycle and vehicle parking, um, providing guidance on um, pedestrian walkways throughout um, sites that would provide that connection from a building to the public sidewalk, um, construction of sidewalks, and um, also um, standards related to access, such as the number and location of driveways. So late last year, the city issued a, a request for proposals to revise the current land development code. And one of the reasons behind that was, as I mentioned, the current code was adopted in 2006. And since that time, we've adopted a new comprehensive plan, a strategic plan, and a transportation plan. So one of the objectives with this revision is to implement the mission and goals of those plans um, and to make it so that uh, it aligns with the community vision that was laid out in those plans. Uh, I'm sure that you know that some of the, the goals that are identified in those plans include um, housing affordability and uh, economic development and job creation, accessibility, inclusion, and environmental justice, infrastructure planning, rehabilitation, and investment, and uh, climate change adaption and mitigation. And then aside from uh, implementing the comprehensive plan, 
We also want the revision of the land development code to better to help better streamline that code. Um, we recognize that the current land development code can sometimes lead to some inefficient development review processes. Um, so with this revision, we hope that uh, to find an opportunity to streamline that development code and uh, for better review and approval processes when feasible. Um, in addition, we, we also know that the land development code is uh, very uh, cumbersome. It's hard to navigate and it's uh, hard to understand. Uh, so we hope that with this revision, we'll achieve a more user-friendly code. Um, we hope to make it more concise and consistent and um, effective for use by all um, members of our community. That include um, developers, uh, private uh, property owners, design professionals, members uh, of the uh, public in general, and city staff. So as far as details on the revision process, um, those are going to be more formally um, formalized once the, once the consultant's been officially selected. But we do know that it's going to include a um, robust and transparent public improvement process. Um, we hope to, um, or we know that we'll include conversations with the community and with stakeholders. Uh, it's expected that one of the first steps in the revision process will be engagement with stakeholders to help solidify the goals and the outcomes of the project. Um, these stakeholders include, um, but are not limited to, steering committees, uh, governmental bodies, and the various city departments. Um, we also know that the community engagement efforts will begin early in the process and will continue throughout that the entire revision process. Uh, as far as timeline for the project, it it uh, should ho hopefully be approximately 24 months or less, um, starting once that consultant's been officially brought on board. Um, we did recently complete a consultant interviews, and so we do hope to bring a um, proposed selection to the City Commission for approval um, here very shortly. So that, in a, in a nutshell, is a very brief uh, kind of update on that um, revision to the Land Development Code. Um, what we kind of expect or hope to be those outcomes and what that timeline looks like. So I, with that, I'll just open it up if there's any questions. Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC. Um, I'm kind of curious, and I'm, I would understand if you can't answer that at this time, but um, are there any major revisions based on where the national conversation has been going with regard to zoning and land use that you see likely being a part of this? You know, for example, um, Minneapolis and Seattle and the state of Oregon and California have all gotten rid of single family zoning. Um, a whole lot of cities have gotten rid of minimum off-street parking uh, requirements, either in some areas or throughout their cities. Um, and there are other uh, cities of believe California as a whole done this, where any area around a transit center has been kind of declared as a higher development zone. Um, obviously, it's probably pretty early in the process to comment on any of these, but just, you know, I guess off the top of your head, is there anything that you think is going to be kind of a major revision to what it is right now? Thanks, Nick. Thank you for planning. Um, this is a very good question, and, and you're right. It, it's Becky, you seem to have frozen. Early. A lot of the um becky can i have community becky can i have you start over you froze on our end uh oh okay let me know if that keeps up and i'll turn off my video um 
I did just get that notification that my emails or my internet is unstable. Um, so thanks, Nick. That was a, a it is a great question, um, and unfortunately, it's not one that I that we have an answer to at this point. And I think that's where that um, involvement with the community is going to be uh, really important. You know, listening to um, um, the feedback we get from the community and from stakeholders um, to help really direct um, what that revision looks like and what's included in it. Thanks. Uh, kind of what I expected. I just was curious if there's any other information. So I, uh, yeah, I certainly look forward to the process and I'll be really excited to kind of see what comes up and hopefully we'll get MMTC involved uh, some way. Does anyone else have any other questions for Becky at this point in time? Or this, this is Pat Collette, um, MMTC commissioner. Um, Becky, you may have said this, but I, I missed it in terms of the the um, RFP that the consultants responded to. How prescriptive was steering committee requirements attached with that, or was that just listed as a, a requirement without any without um, you know specified membership or anything like that? Uh, Becky Pepper with planning. Not prescriptive in the sense of who all would be invited to that yet. Those are the details still that will be um, once they come on board, then we'll have um, further discussions and, and can hammer those details out at that time. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Otherwise, thank you, Becky. I know this is going to be an interest to MMTC members, and we have included updates to this process and hopefully a continued conversation as this goes on about MMTC's role in the uh, work plan for 2022. Definitely. Thank you all for having me again. Bye. All right. At this point in time, would you like to take an eight-minute break and return at 3 p.m.? Does that sound okay to everyone? Okay, thank you. A quick break. All right. As people are joining us again, We were expecting some people to join us this afternoon, additional members. So we'll watch if anybody does that. I'm going to have Brad share screen. We put together and presented to you um, the transportation performance measures from Transportation 2040 from the city strategic plan, from the Safe Routes to School plan and the Lawrence Bikeway plan. It included a lot of measures. Some of you may or may not have been aware of based on even the conversation today. Um, we asked you two questions um, related to all of those measures, which is, which do you believe are the three most important measures for the MMTC? And we can look at that list, Brad, if that's okay. And the response to those, I will read in no particular order, and you can see how often something appears. 
uh, percentage of people who have access to a quarter mile of level of three comfort or below bikeway. Um, can compare enti entire city and, and transportation disadvantage zones, which we haven't done that part yet, but we've done the other the other part. Uh, twenty five percent single or that was twenty single percent single occupancy vehicles, trips in non automobile, number of serious accidents and fatalities, percentage of public streets with sidewalk on at least one side. Um, both city and transportation disadvantage zones, average cost of transportation per household, number of non-motorized facility uh, fatalities and serious injuries, mode share. So that's third time that one's come up. Miles of facility type per year um, for bikeways, both entire city and transportation disadvantage zones, uh, daily vehicle miles traveled per capita related to mode share um, in terms of sustainability and then percentage of transportation budget spent on biking and walking infrastructure, which I think is in 20, T2040, but not as a uh, performance measure of its own. So that's kind of what we had there in terms of you can see where people are headed with what we have um, in terms of measures. Some of those are adjusting measures that we have a little bit um, to get a little more specificity in regards to probably the equity question um, in relationship to the discussion that we had a little bit earlier. You want to talk about any of those in terms of Im importance or value? Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC Chair. I, I'd like to start off just to make sure that we're still good um, quorum-wise if we need a quorum for a retreat, because we currently don't have one. So um, is there any implications of that? I don't believe so. This is just a discussion. There's no action item occurring. We're having a discussion of membership, um, and it's still an open meeting. We do expect some members to join us this afternoon as they become available. Um, but you're correct. We only have three members at this point in time. Or four if Pat's back, but not on video. Oh, okay. Pat. Oh, yes. As soon as Pat joins us, we would have four. Correct. Okay. I, I thought that was the case. Just kind of wanted to make sure um, before I launched too far into this. So, okay. Um, who looks would like, like Douglas go? is joining us now. So, good. Um, oh, good. sounds good. Um, who would like to start us off with what they may remember as their voices? <laughs> I think I remember mine, but I'm not sure. Good. Uh, this Charlie, Brian, MMTC. Nick, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So for this question about quorum, if there are seven commissioners, is that, so we basically form is, is a quorum? Is that what you're raising Correct. up? Okay. Based on the currently appointed, yes. But regardless, okay. there can, there can be a meeting, there just cannot be action without a quorum. It's not an official meeting. So it's a just a it's just a it's a meeting without a meeting. So we've done this before and in other regards, if you have official business, there's there's not a quorum. So you can't have a meeting. You can discuss the items and table them. You basically just leave them hanging there until you get a quorum upon okay. that. Right. But it looks Thanks. like now with Douglas joining us and also with Pat, assuming she will be back shortly, that would be five. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Okay, yes, I'm here. Okay, hello, welcome back. Hi, Douglas, thank you for joining us. We're glad you could join us this afternoon. Should we do inter- Good to yeah. see you, thank you. Uh, thank you for having this, and I'm sorry I'm late. I just got done with work and changed my clothes, so. <laughs> That's okay. 
Well, welcome. Welcome as a new member of uh, Trans Multimodal Transportation Commission. Would everybody like to take a brief moment and can we do our quick round of introductions for those uh, for the Douglas's benefit and all of our benefit, if that's okay? Douglas, I'm Jessica Mortinger. I'm the Transportation Planning Manager for the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization, and I'm facilitating today's discussion for the retreat. Um, we're happy to have you, and I will let Nick go next. Good afternoon. My name is Nick Kuzmiak. I'm the current chair of MMTC. Been on here, I think it's been my fourth year running or something like that. Um, I'm native to Maryland outside of DC, but I lived kind of various states and have been in Lawrence for about four years now. So relatively new, but um, I'm an engineer by day and um, pretty passionate about transportation, urban planning, land use, all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess not by day. So um, yeah, I, I'm coming here with uh, trying to get as, as multimodal of a perspective as I can and um, just want to keep improving the state of transportation in the city. So welcome to the commission. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Uh, I'm Charlie Bryan, uh, MMTC, and I've been on the commission uh, since it started. I've been kind of involved in transportation work um, as a employee of the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health Department and for a number of years. Um, the last few years, my, my job there kind of shifted and I'm not directly involved in my work, but my role on the um, commission um, changed at some point we were appointed as a health department employee but now we're appointed um as at large in the community so i just represent myself and my i guess my own interests but i certainly have a passion for um kind of seeing through the work that i was involved in years ago and uh, i have two uh, daughters that are ones um, in middle school, ones in elementary school. And as I've done my work around transportation, I've always kept them in mind and, uh, you know, seeing them grow up and hopefully be active and uh, whether that's walking, biking, running, um, taking the bus, um, of course, they'll have to drive, I'm sure. So, you know, those things are always on my mind. It sort of shapes my thinking about the matters outside of just the professional space. Um, oh, I think earlier I also shared, I, I live on the west side of town in Quail Run neighborhood and had lived in Monterey, which is um, just north of 6th Street, but kind of in the same area. So, cool. welcome to the team, Douglas. Thank you, thank you. Hi Douglas, I'm uh, Pat Collette, um, member of the commission. I was, I've been on for one year and one month, I guess. <laughs> so outgoing chair or past chair, I guess is what, it, what I should say. I, I'm retired from the um, KU Transportation Research Center. I've uh, been retired about uh, six years. Um, so I have a big interest in transportation um, and really all modes. Uh, but particularly bike ped and, and public transportation. Um, I've lived in Lawrence forever, <laughs> not forever. I didn't, I didn't, I was, didn't grow up here, but came here to go to school and basically haven't left. So I've been here for a long time. I have a couple of daughters, grown daughters who live in town and three grandsons, one of 
whom I'm teaching to drive. So <laughs> that's a new perspective on traffic in Lawrence. And uh, so, yeah, welcome to the commission. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Althea Schnocki. Um, this is my first year as well on the CC. And um, I also work for Lawrence Public Schools. Been in Lawrence for about 20 years now. Great. Good to meet you all. Thank you so much. All right. Dave, did you want to introduce yourself and Brad? Yeah. Uh, hey, hi, Douglas. Dave Cronin again. We met the other day online. Uh, welcome officially and to your first meeting. And thanks again for your uh, service to the community. Thank you. It's an honor. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I'm Brad Harris. I'm an administrative technician with MSO providing uh, admin support for these meetings. Thank you, Brad. That's a logistical. It's very important. <laughs> All right. Let us like, thank you for entertaining some introductions. Uh, we'll get back into our content. We're on agenda item looking at MMTC performance measures. Um, we have presented to you in the packet um, both all of the measures we have combined for from the existing measures that exist in our community plans um, and asked you to, to respond about what the top three you felt were. And so you could see there's some commonality um, in the list we just reviewed that you can see on the screen share. Mm -hmm. um, did we want to, I don't, as part of this conversation, there's two things. The first part is what do you believe are important measures we're looking at now? Um, and maybe I think that the response to that kind of out of today's conversation, I'll be interested to hear what your thought is, is how can we use those to understand how decisions that you're making are being impacted by some of those targets? Um, and then the second part is, there's, is there data and information as part of this question that's not listed or tracked that might be helpful? And how, and is that feasible? Is it available? Is it just well-intentioned? But, and we'll, we can look at that list of the responses we got so far and to understand, I think, how we can better incorporate that. I think that's the intent of this discussion. So seeing what people kind of told us in regards to the response of who responded, even if you didn't respond, please feel free to chime in. If you have other measures you feel are valuable, but um, what are what's valuable information to you in terms of understanding if you're making progress on some of these community um, measures? For myself, um, well, it's hard to track all these um, in the, um, without without uh, knowing what the general public enjoys. And, and likes, but for myself, you know, I want to feel that it's safe enough for my kids to walk and ride a bicycle around town. I live on a busy street and just off Haskell and 23rd is uh, a block and a half away. So um, I'd like there to be more walking and bicycling infrastructure. And, and I know that there is a limit to it and um, I think uh, tracking tracking uh, accidents and age groups, um, particularly, I suspect our college population to to probably be um, a little bit heavy uh, as far as accidents go. But I don't know, and um, I think I'd rather at this point just listen to all of you and 
listen to what you all have to say and what's what's working for you. Thanks, Nick. I'm MTC Chair. So it looks like at least a couple of these metrics I think would cover number of serious accidentalities, um, how many public streets have sidewalks on these one side. I think as we track the progress of this, I'm hoping trending in a certain direction will mean that we are starting to achieve that goal of being a safer environment for all road users and all all transportation users. Right? Um, so it does seem like we'll be able to track it that way. I do see a, a, at least a couple of things that are all sort of related there. And Jessica, I think you kind of alluded to but, but yeah, percentage of single occupant vehicles, percentage of on an auto, automobile, um, what else? Mode share and even daily vehicle miles traveled per capita, I would say, are all kind of related in trying to affect that mode share that we talk about. So in case you're not familiar with that term, we kind of throw it around as if everybody knows it. But the idea is, is that a huge percentage of people, not just in Lawrence, but in, in the US and Canada as well, do everything by car um, and often just driving by themselves as well. So since we kind of have a general understanding that it's not great environmentally, financially, safety-wise, um, trying to get people to use other modes of transportation if and when possible or convenient is um, is both good for you know for the, the environment and the economy, but also good for you know, for equity. Even cars are expensive, so for those who can't afford cars and aren't able to drive everywhere, then it's really helpful to make sure that we're still focusing on the modes that you know on. Modes that are kind of less choice modes, but more necessity modes. So, um, the one that I wrote down that I, I I don't know if anybody else saw this and um, was interested was the um, oh the average cost of transportation per household. So to me, this one's of particular importance because, like I mentioned, I'm really interested in land use and transportation and zoning and all that, and kind of how it connects, which is why we keep trying to get um, to collaborate with the planning commission as much as we can. But I think that a lot of these are affected by not just our decisions, but by planning commission's decisions as well. So the average cost of transportation per household is an interesting metric that when taken together with the cost of housing forms kind of the more realistic picture of what it costs to live in a certain area. So for example, the H&T index, which is a brilliant uh, set of data, I forget who put it together, but it's, it's shown by census block and I, I think even smaller granules um, across the entire country and it gives an estimate of how much it costs a person living in that zone each year to be able to transport themselves and to live there. And what you see is that though it seems that places in walkable neighborhoods are really expensive, mostly because we have a huge scarcity of them in the country, um, they end up being almost cheaper on on the aggregate simply because it doesn't cost a lot to walk everywhere. Whereas if you live in what seems like a cheap house out on the fringes of the city, that can seem like a good deal until you factor in, you know, having to drive everywhere and the cost of gas and maintaining a car and insurance and all that jazz. So um, I think trying to bring the cost of transportation down is, I would say, relatively important in our larger goal of housing affordability. Um, people will often say, well, you know, we always have affordable housing in East Lawrence, Brook Creek and Old West and everywhere else. Why don't we have anything out in the, the uh, more suburban zones? And to that, I'll usually say it's not just about the cost of housing, right? If if you live out by Clinton Lake, you might be saving some money on housing, but that's it. So I think if we can make it easier for people to not have to rely on their car, then we can hopefully start to bring that cost of transportation step down for you know, residents. Yeah. So 
that's where I'm coming from, as you can tell. Fairly passionate interest of mine, but um, I want to toss it on to somebody else so I don't keep uh, rambling here. Anybody want to discuss the responses that they have that they remember? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Uh, I think I put down, I was the one that put down the number of serious accidents and fatalities. Um, I've, I've been kind of, this one's been in my mind for a while now. Like we are, I feel like this is a area we should feel responsibility for when there's an accident that's serious. You know, we read, read about it in the news, um, a fatality, we kind of hear about it the same way. And yet like from our, our role as uh, members of MMTC, it seems like there ought to be a more formal, like, um, accounting for that in my mind. And so a step in that direction is that we're at least attending to it by tracking um, the number of those accidents and um, fatalities. And I, I don't know, I don't know how they get like classified as serious, but I figured, you know, that's a, that's a job that staff could kind of wrestle with. Um, but there ought to be some more formal like um, elevation of that um, in our public process that um, acknowledges that there are um, significant events that need our attention. And now how we, how we attend to it is a separate uh, issue, but just in terms of a performance measure, I think we would all agree that a, a transportation system um, should do, you know, what, what's all possible to minimize serious accidents and fatalities. So that feels like a really almost a foundational um, thing that we should be tracking and um, lifting up for our attention. And then the, I, I might've put down mode share. I think this was more of that. Charlie, good mind. I just want to interrupt real quick. Okay. Um, can we put that in the parking lot, Jessica, for the discussion on the 2022 work plan? Because I also feel fairly strongly that there should be some more scrutiny on, you know, big events. Uh, then just mode share. I don't know if I put that one down, but I know that's one that I kind of always keep in the back of my head. Like, are we really? Is what we're doing really, I mean, do we all agree like a mode shift is important? And if so, like when, when are we willing to put ourselves out there and say, here's the, here's the path forward. And what is our, what is our goal? Does the city have a commitment, even if we think of it as a long-term commitment by like, you know, say 2050 or whatever, if that's kind of aligns with the MPO's um, transportation planning efforts underway. So, you know, how how do we um, stand for the possibility that uh, by 2050 or by whatever date we might set out there that we've seen a what we think is a significant um, shift in the the way people um, get around in our community? So I think about um, I think it was Vancouver several years ago. There was a conference up there, and they were really proud of the the mode share that they had accomplished and it was very much a part of the um, character of their community. They had, I think over 50% of people that did not use a um, vehicle to get around. So 
that's huge. And I you know they're a totally different community. <laughs> uh, probably that's too aspirational, but are we, if we're serious about this? And I, I think, you know, from things I've heard from all of you over the years, like it does seem like something we're all interested in. We're not going to get there without, um, really focusing in on strategies that achieve um, a shift in the mode share toward those um, that aren't dependent on a vehicle uh, or, or more of a single occupancy vehicle. And this kind of gets into this like technical side of it, but let's just get really clear on what we intend to do, what we hope for the city and how we think that is important for the future of our community. And, you know, I think there's a role for transit in that effort and, when we think about our place in the scheme of advisory committees, I know there's already a public transit advisory committee, but I don't know that I don't know that they're thinking about mode share and how we get to a different um, share. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know, but I feel like it should be in our space to make that public commitment, just in the same way that we, as a community, commit to you know climate action plan and such. So. This is Pat Collette, Commissioner from MTC. Um, I don't remember exactly what I put in here, but I think um, um, I know the um, number of non-motorized fatalities and serious injuries, I'm pretty sure was one of mine. And just, I really agree with, uh, with both of you, Charlie and Nick about, you know, bringing that more to the forefront and and, you know, to the extent of, you know, showing those locations and maps so that we can really hone in on areas where, you know, maybe we need to put some more attention and that kind of thing. And I know how, I mean, into the next section about things I'd like to measure, you know, is related to that, which is, you know, not just the serious ones, but all of them. But I know, you know, the capturing that data <laughs> is, is, quite difficult, to, you know, but um, at any rate, um, it's sure something I would like to see. And then I think, you know, just in terms of keeping uh, an eye on, you know, the, the miles of each each facility type per year, um, including percentages like, you know, kind of combining those two measures of uh, public percentage of public streets with sidewalks on at least one side and you know both in the entire city and and TD zones, um, but you know, kind of being able to reflect that progress of growth in each year or not. But uh, you know, I think in general growth. But you know, cycle tracks no, not so much. But um, um, but those were kind of the two that I kind of or you know they kind of got combined in my mind. But that was kind of the area of emphasis for me. Mode share, I agree. It's just frustrating to see it, you know, change by, uh, you know, 0.001 or something. So, you know, compared to, you know, Charlie's example of the 50%, you know, so, um, so at any rate, those are, those are the ones that I was focused in on. Althea, do you have any thoughts to add of things that would 
I I really don't. Okay, that's yeah. okay. That's fine. That's fine. I'm just putting you on the spot, but I just want to make sure you had an opportunity to comment. So, I think that discussion is valuable, and I would say probably from the party responsible for putting together as our MPO organization almost all of the data points that you found of high importance. That I would say probably none of those are going away. <laughs> that they would all maybe evolve in some way. We might collapse a few to make them the same. You know, like to figure out how we're going to really, truly, intently reflect on those. Those, um, in T2050. So we should see some more data, but I do have one question for, for you before we move on to additional data not tracked, which is how else, or besides just our re reporting, um, we've talked a little bit before about dashboards or other ways to publicly display information. I know some work will be done on strategic plan to do some of that with those measures. Is there other ways or differently how you think the data could can be conveyed and or used to tell the story and or in your work that would be something staff could do that would be beneficial to you in that process? Hey, Kuzmiak, Chair, MMTC. So Jessica, this is one of the few suggestions I have that doesn't fall on more staff time. Um, so since the performance metric committee was formed last year, I don't know a whole lot about what your directive is because I'm not on it, or I don't think I was even there for the meeting where it was established. But it seems to me that maybe an interesting deliverable of this committee could be an annual or even quarterly um, update on performance measures of interest and which ones have changed. And perhaps maybe some, uh, I guess, some ideas of how things have changed and why, and maybe what decisions we've made that have contributed to that. Because staff does a ton, and I don't know if there's really any more bandwidth to do something like a dashboard. But if a few interested people would be able to just kind of go through the list that's, you know, up a page here um, and see like, all right, is there anything of note that's worth bringing to MMTC? And do we need to have a discussion about it? Because a lot of times, Pat, like you were saying, it might be a 0.1% change, so kind of who cares, right? But if there is a change year over year, for example, if we see a spike in pedestrian fatalities from one to five, that's important and we need to know. So I don't think that we need to talk about every single metric, but... It, it could be, you know, a, a deliverable of this metrics committee. So, Pat and Charlie, since you are on it, I'd like to hear your feedback on that because I just accidentally volunteered you something to do. So, well, to, to their credit, we haven't had a legitimate meeting with everybody in the first place. So, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and kind of the reason for that. Well, we met. Yes. Uh, or I met with with Jessica. Steve Steve Evans was also on it. Um, so he's rotated off. So we need we would need an additional person, but, um, you know, in conversation with Jessica, because of the the point at which the city's strategic plan was in development and the performance measures around there, we discussed holding off for a little bit before moving, um, moving forward. But I think we're probably now at that point where, where the committee could move forward and start working on those. I like your idea of the annual or you know biannual uh update to the you know and also you know it seems like picking out some of the safety measures um you know if there are a way to you know and this is staff time again i'm not sure which office that this might fall into but in terms of you know public engagement you know some sort of a a flyer or a, you know, it could even, it could be an online resource or something or something in the water bill or something like that, where, you know, it's performance measures 
related to transportation, transportation safety, particularly uh, that would go, you know, that the community would be more engaged in. When we talked about a dashboard, and you know, I, my point was that, you know, a lot of those performance measures are posted and their targets and that kind of thing with some of those, but they're pretty difficult to find. You have to dig into the um, city site quite a ways to, to find it. And so figuring out a way, if we don't have a separate dashboard, figuring out a way to communicate to people how to get to those, uh, get to those performance measures and where they are uh, posted, you know, because you, you have to, you have to know they exist and then you have to know how to search within the city website to be able to find them. So figuring out a way to better engage the public in that discussion. And then also, you know, for us to actively review the progress over, you know, the last year and the last five years or whatever for, for those performance measures that we have. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, so Nick, I would, I would say this probably can't, we can't do a whole lot um, that isn't gonna put some burden on staff. Um, because I wouldn't want to go kind of go out there on a limb with like, oh, here's the measure that we should use and here's the data source. Uh, it needs to be, I think, situated within the efforts that staff have underway. So um, in terms of like taking responsibility, maybe to compile the information that's already kind of out there and giving that um, to the full commission for review on some frequency. That, that seems fine. I mean, I know some of the challenges, it's it's not like there isn't a dashboard just for us. There's, you know, there's, there's several different ways that that data gets um, shared to the public and maybe, maybe it's just how do we um, kind of uh, collate it or curate it, I mean, so that it's easy for this group to, um, to see it. And maybe that is an easy lift for some of our um, us as members rather than staff, but I don't know the technology well enough to know, like, can we like pin different measures that are in the um, system that they're using? Can we pin them into our own version of a dashboard? I don't know. That's, that's something you can do in Power BI, but I don't know if you can do it with, I think OpenGov is what they use for their platform, so. Yeah. All the MPO stuff that we're using, most all of our stuff, like when we're doing dashboards, is in all, all in Esri ArcGIS online. Oh, yeah. That's a good tool for so There's that. some capacity there. Yeah. But if it's like you're thinking, Nick, like, can we put it on our agenda? And I don't know. Maybe it's a, a twice a year kind of thing in my head. That's my thought is probably not too often. I, I did think that, that I made a comment earlier about just helping us to stay centered on this. Maybe there's a, maybe it wouldn't be too much to throw things onto agendas or as we're reviewing agendas, um, you know, helps us to know, oh yeah, this one's gonna impact. We think it has an impact on percent of single occupancy vehicles or, you know, something. I don't know. Nick Kuzmak, MMTC Chair. So I may not know as much about these metrics as I thought I did. Um, when you mentioned that even just compiling this data would cost uh, uh, staff time, I was under the impression that at least a good number of these um, metrics are currently being tracked already. I don't know if on an annual basis, but at least with some frequency. I realized for the strategic plan ones that was that was just 
developed um, last year, I guess. There's quite a few that don't have any actual um, data mm -hmm. set up just yet. So, but I think for T2050, I think those are actually pretty well checked already. Jessica, can you correct me if I'm wrong? I don't know if there are any that Jessica are missing. Jessica Mortinger, uh, Transportation Plan Manager. It really varies. So I would say some of the measures are available annually, like crash data. But this is where updating timelines come into play. And there's some technicalities. Like you would think, oh, January 2022, you should have all of 2021's crash data. Well, that doesn't get finalized until like July of the following year from the previous year's data. So there are some delays in data or some data isn't available available annually. Um, and so some things aren't tracked that way. If you look at our performance measure report, there's actually an entire list in T2040. The front page tells you how often something is updated. Um, and we have brought those to you a few times, I think, as just reports for your information. So maybe there is some greater need for some study work um, and or just better doing some education with that with even the subcommittee around what is there so they can understand how they could use maybe to like help Help us understand how it could be used better or what things might matter to members more than others. For example, we just published a update to the bikeway plan, a performance measure related to percentage of households within quarter mile of level of comfort three. And you can go look at those numbers and there's been significant change in level of comfort for bikeways based on the speed limit lowering and on residential streets. So that policy impact, not even thinking about constructing projects based on how that measure is defined and constructed, that policy impacted probably more than the construction over three or four years of projects in terms of now the perceived impact based on the assumptions made in that measure. So I think there are some things like that, that, you know, that information is out there and how you use it and understand it. There probably could be some part on staffs telling that story, um, but also some of it's just going to be time of members reading the materials that are already prepared and exist um, for some of that data. The T2050 process will present an opportunity for us to present updated data, I think, and to develop some refinement to some of the measures that we have also. So I think your role in that process will probably be valuable as well in terms of think both participating as community, just community members, but also your representation on that steering committee. Thank you, Mac MMTC Chair. I just had a follow-up then, now that I realize that these are updated on different time frequencies. Um, are there any that are updated, I would say, more frequently than, say, quarterly or annually? Or is annually kind of, uh, like, annually to five years? Is that sort of the normal frequency of updating? Yes. And I'll, and some of that comes down to staff time, just like when do we have time to rerun the models and what time is it in the workload? And some of it's data availability, um, like it's not available except for at these certain times. So it really depends on how much we can do. Okay. But they're not the same. And usually we try to do the best we can with what we have. So. Okay. Well, I guess understanding the limitations of uh, frequency, what data is available, staff time, all that does. I, I guess I, I still would maybe challenge the metrics committee to see if it's possible in some way, maybe have at least an annual update of anything that was notable in the changes. Um, like Jessica, you were saying about the percentage who are near a level of comfort three, that's pretty significant. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, and I feel like that during a regular meeting could be really helpful as well. 
even just during a study session, just to kind of let us know how we're doing um, for whatever data it is new and noteworthy. And it's certainly possible that, that a year goes by and nothing really changes, and maybe that's the report. Like, well, we're not really moving the needle right now, but we'll still try. <laughs> All right. So the next part of this conversation um, is, is there data not tracked or listed um, that would be helpful to MMTC? And I'll read through these and we can talk about them a little bit. Um, intersection safety measures such as rates of failure to yield to pedestrians. So this is noted in the pedestrian plan, which is hopefully going to be released for draft on Monday for public comment. Um, so you'll see this, we talk about this and doing maybe some of this work. Um, so that's on our radar, just FYI on that. We've had some conversations about working with uh, community partners to maybe update some of the failure to yield observations that were made around safe routes to school by public health and their partnership with KU um, in the past. Um, we can talk more about that. Total number of bike ped collisions, not just fatality and serious injury. Um, we in our MPO plans have an, a crash analysis that's more extensive of all either the bike or ped crashes in those planning documents. So some of that information already exists, um, but it's more like a five-year range and it shows it's not year-to-year -year trajectory necessarily. Um, percentage of residents living within a 15-minute neighborhood. So that's a planned 2040 strategy and objective. I don't know that they have developed a model to determine what that neighbor, what a 15-minute neighborhood is in terms of origins and destinations, but we can follow up about that. Vehicle emissions and air quality. It would be great if our GIS map had some emissions data, real-time air quality data. So this is one where there is no air quality monitor in Douglas County. This data is not available. Um, the proxy monitor for Douglas County is in Leavenworth County. Just for anyone's information, there uh, hasn't been, with changing air quality standards, there hasn't been a conversation to replace the monitor that was removed from Lawrence over a decade ago. Um, number of reports from citizens regarding traffic, pedestrian, and bicycle safety. For those of you that have been in the conversation longer, we've had a lot of this conversation around crash data and the under-reporting, under-reported nature of some of that safety data in terms of when people talk about near misses and or um, knowing that the Kansas Motor Vehicle Accident Report form, that official form, requires vehicular involvement. So if a bicycle and a bicycle crash or a bicycle crashes because of a roadway condition or, um, you know, another, somebody crashes with a pedestrian, those are not reported in the same fashion. And so that we are aware of that. Um, I'm not sure what statistical options kind of exist in terms of best practices um, besides acknowledging that underreporting, but that's on our radar. So I don't know if that update kind of helps you. We can talk about any of those, um, but we will we will pay attention to this list. Um, I think we'll keep it. We'll have additional conversations as part of T2050 about um, how we set those measures and what other information is available to us. Sorry, that was mostly me reporting, but I'd be happy to talk about any of those in more detail. <laughs> Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC Chair. Uh, 
this one's on me. Unfortunately, I got distracted right as you were talking about the one I was interested in. Um, oh. The center residents that live within a 50-minute neighborhood. Could you briefly go over your response again, please? Yes. I don't know that there is a model developed to define how that would be tracked. We can inquire if there is any intention to do that, but I don't you'd have to make some pretty specific assumptions about how you determine what a 15 minute neighborhood has to entail to determine if that's the neighborhood or not. Um, I don't know that there's been an, any of that development of that as a measure. Understood. So we yeah. can, we can inquire, um, but I haven't seen anything. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like the kind of thing that's probably so new of an idea that there really isn't an acceptable standard. Like there's say a walk score, um, like, I'm sure you could do it in-house, but would that be reinventing the wheel when there's already maybe something out there that maybe some university or think tank has already put forward? So I think since Paris is in the process of trying to do 15-minute uh, neighborhoods everywhere, there might be some precedent there, if it's in English, about what amenities constitute, you know, ones that you need to look at. So I, I have a feeling, given the GIS capabilities that you have at your disposal, there Maybe a way if we can at least agree on assumptions. Um, I, I remember when you did that, um, I forget what program this is for, but maybe the sidewalk maintenance program where you were able to map destinations and sidewalk routes and say, you know, how how would a person get from point A to point B and kind of have these um, like lines of different thicknesses along various roads showing, you know, how much traffic could be expected to go to the destination. So I was thinking something like that, if it could be quantified. It could be a very interesting metric. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Uh, so Nick, um, earlier you mentioned the possibility of like having us do some work so that staff weren't um, given work. This is one I I would be really curious. Uh, I don't I don't believe there's as much. Um, I mean, there's tremendous GIS capability in the city, but I would say um, the way you characterize it. I don't know that it's available for people to be, um, you know, just task them with this kind of project. I, I would be curious, like, if it would be useful for us to, like, help to do the research on on this, you know, like, that seems like a reasonable thing for us to do. Um, and once it's more clear, you know, bring that back to the commission help us under, you know, do, do we think that yeah this is a reasonable definition of a 15 minute neighborhood for the person that may not know what that means that i kind of i wouldn't be surprised if someone said yeah this is a 15 minute town i can drive from here to there in 15 minutes right so we got to be thinking if if this is an idea that we want to lift up in our community um how do we how do we um do some of the legwork to make it understood um and maybe definable to the point where GIS has something something reasonable to go with. Yeah, I would I would follow up with that with with I think as you get into thinking about what constitutes a fifteen minute neighborhood, that there may already be some of the elements of that individually in the strategic plan, um, in terms of percentage of residential units within half a mile of a green space, percentage of residential units within half a mile of biking and walking, connectivity of healthy food providers to transit, bike routes, sidewalk. And really what you're talking about is an index of a lot of those different values. So I think you're welcome to do some research and I would be interested to see what you find. 
But that would be my initial assumption, just knowing nothing, that some of the components of what you're trying to get out there, we have started to create as building blocks to represent some of these values in relationship to that in terms of thinking about even how we've developed safe routes around schools as you know with neighborhood schools or how we've looked at um percentage of residential units within access to transit stop or on-demand transit. I mean, a lot of those elements are maybe already there that it's more part of an index. I don't know. It would be fascinating. I also wonder if 15 minutes is really the starting point. So, you know, we look at our school attendance boundaries and people have to walk to school if, if they don't, you know, drive their ability to walk um, 15 minutes is not going to take you to the two and a half mile um, distance that kind of is used for that um, busing decision making that's, you know, out there. So maybe the process should start with like, what happens if we're all trying to live in 30 minute neighborhoods, you know, assuming that we want to be able to walk from here to there within 30 minutes is, is that not good enough or can we start with that i personally prefer to start with 15 minutes just because that's kind of a common term in the uh the literature i guess and the sort of planning world so so it seems i'm not an actual planner so feel free to correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like i keep seeing this coming up in headlines so it, it must be sort of commonly understood i'd be really curious if anyone has advanced this in a midwestern college town Probably not. Like, right. I mean, it sounds such a such a very urban thing to say. Fifteen minute neighborhood. I so. mean, the amount of things that are almost global in scale that we're trying to glom onto. I, I, you know, stuff like climate change resilience, for example, that you would think would be the charge of the federal government, but isn't doing a great job. You know, now it's a Lawrence thing as well. Like that, we signed onto it, or even the Green New Deal. I mean, there are Green New Deal stipulations that have been sort of approved by city commission. So I feel like, yeah, it's it's definitely a reach goal, but like Jessica said, it, it really doesn't en encompass in all likelihood a lot of metrics that are already going to be tracked. Um, so it's not a huge stretch. And I would say, e even if we do define it as a 15 minute neighborhood, just arbitrarily, because that's kind of an understood concept. Um, even if we start at zero, eh, I mean, it, at least that's a recognition of how far we have to, to go. And I would say, redefining it as a 30 minute neighborhood would maybe be a little bit presumptuous that people are willing to walk 30 minutes to get to something. Um, I know a lot of people, especially in the Midwest are not. So I, I, I'd prefer to stick with the 15 minute metric, even if that's something that we know we're not doing a great job at right now. Um, so I don't know, I, like I said, this is really just a, a thought exercise. This isn't something I'm saying that we have to do. It's just something that I thought it could be helpful, not just to the MMTC, but to the city commit, sorry, the uh, city manager's office for the strategic plan and the planning commission to see if they're actually living up to the, the aspirational ideals of plan 2040, which in its current form, we're not even close to um, in terms of being able to walk to places, have neighborhood scale businesses, being able to use, not use your car for everything. Like we got a long way to go. And um, I feel like this would directly track with a lot of those, um, those aspirations. But yeah, I can look into it in the meantime, kind of as a side project. If I see something promising, I can bring it back. 
Does it does it feel okay at this point to kind of leave that on my subcommittee list for the next hour in terms of equity and performance measures or kind of maybe some work that you may want to identify in your goal? Because we got really technical on a lot of people <laughs> really quick, but, but I think um, there's probably some more work we need to do to think about it. So Charlie, Brian, MMTC. So I would, I would say maybe, but I guess I'd want to know this. Is this something that enough of us have energy around? It seems to me a curiosity and um, it feels really like a stretch and I'm not, I'm not sure that how it's going to like of all the things we should put our energy into, I guess I'm, I'm not seeing this one as, um, as ripe as it needs to be, which is why I kind of feel like I wouldn't want to try to push staff to make this thing happen, but um, maybe there's, maybe there's a really value to the MMTC members doing some of the work on this, like trying to educate the community about it, trying to identify like Jessica was listing out, you know, the different things that might already exist. Um, but I just also have this, this is maybe not what you expect, but there's part of me that just kind of cringes when I see this because it strikes me as quite a privilege to live within 15 minutes of everything. And I, I wonder how affordable, um, being able to live in such a place would be like, you know, just literally the change from where I lived in Monterey, which was north of Sixth Street, to then moving to Quail Run, which is south of Sixth Street. It's a less, less than a block from Quail Run Elementary School, and I recognize that that is a neighborhood that's, um, you know, more expensive to live in, and yet. It changed the, I mean, walking my kids to school uh, was a bit difficult where I lived before. Now, they, I mean, the first day we moved here, we just literally opened the door. And I think we had to actually tell our oldest to slow down, you know, because she was so eager to just to walk. And so that in some ways is a privilege to have that convenience of just walking right out your front door, down the block, cross the street, boom, you're on the on the elementary school campus. So I would just be cautious about um, trying to kind of run into this space where we're trying to promote 15 minute neighborhoods. We might, we might not, um, we might be surprised by some how, how people might react to it. I would sort of counter to that because I feel fairly passionate about this, that inflating accessibility to privilege is more of an observation of where we are as a society than where we could be if we, were to restructure our values a little bit. I would say, I mean, if you were to ask, you know, does it cost a lot of money to avoid being near environmental pollution or are poor people just consigned to live right next to a power plant or a wastewater treatment plant? And I would say, yeah, that's the state of things right now. And you could infer from that situation that privileged people are able to live further away from environmental, you know, uh, contamination. But is that really a reflection of the values that we have, or would we prefer everybody to not live in your sites of environmental contamination, right? I mean, even if currently people of lesser means aren't able to walk everywhere that they would like to uh, within a reasonable distance, is that true that that's what we want for our future? Or is that why I would actually want it as a metric to track our improvement towards that goal? Um, I think the fact that multiple cities around the globe are actively pursuing something like this says to me it's not really a fad. It means that there's a recognition that being able to achieve your daily necessities without getting into a car 
is not something just for people with privilege, but something that everybody should should have access to if we were if we had our values straight. So I would say Plan 2040 directly goes into that by saying things like we need to have walkable neighborhoods for everybody, and you know, strategic plan even says safe, welcoming neighborhoods. It's right there. It's not it's not necessarily that the current safe, welcoming neighborhoods are the rich ones. It's that everybody should be in safe, welcoming neighborhoods. So I would caution against conflating current reality with desired goals. Well, and except that we can't get there because we're not there now. Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Except for the lack of a grocery store in downtown, I would say that's maybe what people would imagine as a 15-minute neighborhood. And it's not very um, likely that uh, that the families that could live there could could afford to live there, honestly. I mean, I just feel like if everything was in 15 minutes of me walking, I must have some real... <laughs> means to make that um, possible. And I, I live in the west side of town. I mean, honestly, I've always felt like I'm really privileged to have within a mile, uh, at one point we had four grocery stores here. That's ridiculous compared to, you know, if I live just a few more miles away. And so, you know, I'm talking about going from one privileged space where I'm half, where my kids have to walk, you know, 40 minutes to school versus four minutes. Like, I just went from one level of privilege to another level of privilege. And so I, I just think possibly people could interpret a 15 minute neighborhood as creating little enclaves where people with, with, um, with means could have the good life. Whereas the rest of us that don't have that ability are kind of stuck outside of those little, um, not, I'm not saying they're gated neighborhoods, but it kind of feels like it could, could be construed that way. Now, I, I grant that you're saying, you know, this is an aspiration for all neighborhoods, but um, I just, I don't know. I guess I'd be curious if that's truly a shared interest for people that live in our community. I guess I'm just failing to see the assumption that if we were to put this as a metric, that people reading it would automatically assume, well, that doesn't apply to me. I live in Lawrence, but I'm in a poor neighborhood, so that's never going to be a thing. I would assume that when you read a metric in a com comprehensive plan, that it would indicate this is something we want comprehensively for the city. It's like, you know, say, um, like uh, VMT miles traveled or um, the, sorry, um, can you scroll up a little bit? The very first bullet point of the last section is something that currently is a privilege for those who are able to live near, you know, biking paths that have a, a better level of comfort. I would assume, I would sure hope, that people reading T2040 or T2050 aren't saying, eh, great, but that's never going to happen to me. I'm hoping that the takeaway is this is a plan for all of Lawrence. And even if you don't have this now, the plan is to get you there. This is a metric that we want to move in this direction. And the same for 15-minute neighborhoods. Even if right now it's maybe 0.1% and those are, are wealthy neighborhoods, the plan is to get everybody there at some point, right? Um, I All right, mean, Nick, I'm going to interrupt you. That's fine. Okay. Mainly because I think we need to continue this discussion, but in a way that's like a subcommittee where we can do some research and understand what the intention of Plan 2040 is and if that's something we should be tracking. I think there may be some ways to better understand disparities also by looking at, you know, percentage of transportation disadvantage census block groups in those areas versus not if you come up with some index and some stuff. So... There's some ways to see how the, what the data tells us about where we're at or where we're going, but 
Yes, Douglas. Uh, Douglas Fredding, MMTC. I am very curious about air quality and vehicle emissions. Just hearing that, that we haven't had these, um, we haven't had this data for a long time. You know, Lawrence has, has sprawled out and expanded, and um, I'm wondering what would be the costs and of uh, and what kind of sensors we would we could uh, afford, and and how how uh, how accurate the data would be, and. I was wondering if maybe we couldn't team with the University of Kansas for something like this. I mean, certainly there there must be environmentalists there who would like to know the development of our air quality. Excuse me. <coughs> but I, I would like to get some kind of metric and that hard data, you know, would influence people. They find out, okay, so if you live, <coughs> excuse me, on at 23rd and Haskell that, you know, if you're running around there and exercising every morning, maybe you're not getting a lot of oxygen content. And uh, whereas if you're walking up Indiana Street, going up to KU from 9th Street, you're you're actually getting some good air. But I don't know any of this because we don't have any, any data at all. Not for a long time, it seems. So I'm very curious as to to how we might manage to get that because that would influence opinion, public opinion. Oh my God, our air is so bad. Or oh my God, the air is pretty good. You know, I don't I don't know how it would how it would all play out, but more data is good in my opinion. All right, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Okay. And I guess I would so there is a whole process around air quality in Douglas County. Douglas County Public Health established a committee a number of years ago that governs that. They have not, to my knowledge, met in a number of years. Um, I don't even know that there's a framework active around air quality in Douglas County any longer. So there would probably need to be an extensive amount of work done in regard to that. Oftentimes um, that work is done based on what's federally required. And so KDHE, the Kansas Department of Health and Environment is the agency that has chosen that monitors air quality and cho has chosen where monitors are placed or not placed. Um, and they there is a process through MPO planning um, around air quality, but it's typically invoked when there's air quality violations of air quality standards. So um, it's probably something we'll touch a little bit in T2050 because it could be our reality in the future with changing air quality standards that we could be what's called in non-conformity for air quality, which means that every transportation project you do has to be modeled and it has to fit within an air quality budget. It's like a fake budget account of for an air in an air quality model. Um, it's pretty prescriptive and it's federally required if we get into that non-attainment area. So there's a whole process and we uh, track that. Um, with the Leavenworth monitors, we're currently in attainment. Um, and so there is there is not that that work is not being done in Douglas County because according to their standards based on our proxy monitor, we are in attainment to the federal standards for air quality. So we can follow up in more detail with that and we probably will during T2050, but there's a lot of uh, background and history there. Since it's four o'clock, does anybody need a break or may we proceed to the last section of our planned work today, which is to talk about your work plan? 
Where you at? I go either way. Okay, well, we'll just keep going since nobody said they need a break. If you need a break, just turn off your video, put your thing down for a second, leave us and come back. Let's at this point move on to our agenda item for the MMTC 2022 work plan. We have provided to you for your review in the packet, both the goals and objectives 2021 year end review document to kind of show you what was completed. I, I would assume it's your intention um, you can clear, you can correct me if I'm wrong to recreate this document for 2022 based on today's conversation. Um, and but in the meantime, we also have the calendar um, for to start that conversation for 2022 work. And so we can look at that. If I can find mine. There we go. It's on the back of this page. Um, does that seem to work for everybody if we review this calendar of work that's consistent so far on what we have laid out for future study session topics and regular agenda meetings? Does anybody want to talk about any of those things at this point in time on that from that study packet? Or are you ready to jump into the meat of the goals and objectives from 2021 to move forward any of the things you would see on this list on an initial first draft to be considered for future approval by MMTC. I don't know. I guess my original thought was that we were just going to go through 2021 the table okay. and see what we can update, but I'm I'm pretty open to suggestions if there's a better way to do it. I, that just seems the most clear, obvious way, but I'm not being very creative here. So. I'm good with either way. I don't. And sorry, can you remind me what the other way was? I'm not sure. Oh. I really well, I think there's just two things to consider. One is what are your goals and objectives from the 2021 with the year end review where the column is added kind of what was done for this year based on those goals and objectives? Is the intent then to roll those goals and objectives into next year and tweak them a little bit that way? Or do you want to look at the things that you've laid out, that we've laid out on the 2022 commission agenda for future study session topics and meeting items to formulate, and maybe that's what helps formulate the changes and tweaks to the 2021 goals and objectives. Okay, yeah, I understand now. So yeah, okay. I would say in that case, let's go over what we currently have or had, okay. see if we met them, and if we didn't, if we do wanna even continue them. And then once we're done with that, anything new would probably be informed by that count schedule. That's Sound okay to everybody? Good enough. All right, sweet. Okay, great. Uh, we're going to work on pulling that up in a second. So we'll just look, we'll talk at the from the top of the list, which was the 2021 goal to review the development of the City of Lawrence Community Engagement Plan for MMTC activities. Uh, we didn't track any work completed there. So I think that's one that we carry into 2022 with knowing that there's some new staff initiatives um, and additional efforts into that. Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC Chair. Am I am I correct in that the position has not yet been filled for community engagement coordinator? That's been open for a, a while, from what I correct. recall. Correct. I believe there are still hires to be made within that structure. Okay, so I would assume then there's really not much we can do until that's really in place. Like it's kind of a work in progress, and we're keeping an eye on it. But until there's more kind of top-down direction, we're just kind of stuck doing our best in the meantime. 
Yes, with one exception to that, I would say, which is the MPO and, uh, for Transportation Planning and Lawrence Transit have a public participation plan that is documenting public participation. It's out for public comment. I think it ends today or sometime next week, maybe the 28th. Uh, that is basically how Lawrence Transit and the MPO structures do public engagement. So it's not city formal, um, it's city adjacent, but that should just be at your on your radar. So that would be something we would probably, you know, you would you could be made aware of um, as part of that process as part of that process that may relate to this work. Okay, that sounds good to me. Um, the other one that I see here in the third column is a study session on media relations in the city of Lawrence. I don't recall the context over that proposal, but are we talking about how MMTC and MSO staff communicate with like the LJ world, for example? Um, I think this here might've been more around the strategic plan commitment area um, around engaged communities. Uh, so I think the media relations maybe still would have been like, what are we doing? You know, like what's the, if they have an engagement plan, what's the strategy? What's the process? How are you doing this work in the community? I think they just wrote media relations because I think that, I think at that point, like that's kind of how that, some of that department was framed. And this is, I don't this know. is Pat, go ahead. This is Pat Glick, uh, MMTC commission, commissioner. Um, we actually did have a study session on media relations and that was in there for that purpose. And it was Porter, I think, who who presented, but basically it was presenting you know, the you know, the outreach through through his office and, and that work, you know, and what he was doing. So it wasn't it didn't get incorporated or any of that get incorporated into you know, a plan, a community engagement plan for MMTC, uh, partially because I think of, you know, the pending developments at the at the city. So, or at least that's that's what I recall. That was fairly early on um, in the year, but I think that that was how that then it was listed as a study session, which we we did have. So do you think that we should put that on 2021 work completed or is that maybe not relevant now that we're already in 2022? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the, that column of work completed, I mean, I think we need another column or we can rename this column 2022. Well, or really look at the objectives and we're going to be taking this last column and blanking it out and making it 2022 work completed, but looking at, I think looking at the objectives and see uh, if we need to, to tweak that at all, if we if we want to tweak it in some way for 2022 would be my my thought for, for this. Okay. Um, I guess at this point, I'm, I'm thinking this should, this could basically stay as it is with maybe a different study session, seeing as how we basically had that. But um, I'd be okay with maybe striking the thing in the study sessions for right now and seeing where we end up with once we look at the 2022 calendar and see if there's anything that kind of fits with that. And if not, maybe come back to it later. Any other ideas on this? 
Sounds good. Let's, um, I don't know, whoever's taking notes. <laughs> we can probably move on to the next one. Dave, Dave is taking notes. Thank you, Dave. I think he's also sharing a screen, so. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Jessica, do you want to go over this one real quick like you did for the last one? Yeah, absolutely. So this one is related to the uh, unmistakable identity. Because um, remember, we're looking at how we tie to the strategic plan. Make transportation a part of the unique identity for Lawrence. Um, so review peer communities for examples of strategies used to develop stronger transportation identities, support strategic plan implementation, and review of key performance indicators. So we've done a little bit of that work here. We saw as part of that unique identity, the recommendation of bike ped funding, the study session about the active transportation plan, downtown master plan, riverfront and center presentations, establish the performance measures committee. Those are the things that are noted here under work completed. Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC chair. So given that first objective, that sounds like a study session to me, but I'm wondering if that's maybe best accomplished by by passionate or interested members of MMTC trying to find those examples, um, maybe have a discussion around that, um, if that's something others feel is, is useful. I think the last time that we really did peer community review was for the micro mobility committee that we had, where we had direct contact with Wichita, I wanna say. I'm trying to remember who we talked to, but that was pretty useful, I thought, um, to kind of learn who else is doing stuff. And I know Adam, um, I think reached out to a couple of other college towns in the area to see what they did for transit centers. And I was also instructed to kind of see like, what would a transit center look like if we were Columbia, for example. So I like the idea of doing this, but I, I hesitate to tell staff to show us peer community. So I'm trying to think of how we can learn more without stretching you guys too, too thin here. So I don't know, open to ideas. Otherwise, I, I don't think we'll be able to realistically fulfill this objective. Let us talk to some internal staff of an unmistaken identity. I believe there's some ongoing work around some development of thinking about um, with some of the community partners about how information is shared about active modes of transportation. And I believe there's some trips planned um, to go to our, um, the Arkansas area um, to see some of their stuff. So there may be something we can do there that's not work, but that relies on somebody else in their process uh, coming back. So let us follow up about that. Okay, that sounds good. I swear I saw something, maybe it's Chamber of Commerce is gonna do a trip down. Yes, that's the partnership I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. That'd be really cool, especially because that is the literal embodiment of unique transportation given that Northwest Arkansas has now positioned themselves, rightfully or not, as the mountain biking capital of the country. <laughs> um, transportation, unique, tourism, like that is like directly on this line of the table. So I'd certainly be curious to hear what, what uh, our city representatives pick up on that and see if there's any any lessons that we can learn. We've also had, I will add one more thing. The rideability, the new rideability map is out. 
And uh, one of the conversations that the MPO Bicycle Advisory Committee had with unmistakably Lawrence um, during that convert during that process of developing that was about um, developing some content related to tourism and access to routes and wayfinding and information. So um, there may be more to be done there that there could be value of particular committee members working to develop some of those things if they wanted to volunteer in that way outside of the MMT, MMTC structure. That's an interesting point you bring up, just having the coordination with unmistakably, unmistakably Lawrence, um, in that perhaps that's an idea for a study session, just having them talk about the importance of wayfinding and how transportation fits into tourism, and we can help them achieve their goals of, you know, drawing more people based on what they've probably seen elsewhere, because I have a feeling they they would probably be looking to peer communities and see what's being done. So um, I know we've discussed the idea of wayfinding in the past and even stuff like the river front and center, like we see on the right-hand side here, um, is kind of tourism related as well, I would guess. So it, I guess it's not a high priority for me at least, but it would be an interesting study session to have if we're able to get somebody from Explore Lawrence to um, come and talk to us about that. But I'm, I'm open to, you know, disagreements here. Okay, and they're part of the City of Lawrence uh, Unmistakable Identities staff team. So I think there's some connections already made and that we could explore that a little bit to find out what the goal around that should be to basically explore opportunities to develop and build some capacity within um, some maybe even some of the stakeholder partner agencies to do some of that work. That sounds good. Um, other MMTC folks? Oh, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, I don't know, Jessica, what's going on with the uh, on-bike education that Lawrence Public Schools um, had been doing, if they're still doing that or not. But one of the ways I think about what makes us unique is like, how do we differ from other communities in Kansas? And I, there aren't a lot of communities that are, that are providing um, bicycling education in schools where it involves actually a bicycle. And I think about Parks and Rec's involvement in trying to um, provide education around bicycling. And I I wonder like how how we are known. Um, I don't know if we're capturing it all, like the commitment to trying to teach people how to ride bikes seems an important one to capture and lift up. If people were thinking about moving here, you know, making decisions about where to where to live. I don't know if unmistakably unmistakable identity is all about just tourism or if it's also about like people deciding should they live in Topeka or Johnson County or Lawrence, Kansas, because people, you know, work and commute. So I guess I'm wondering, like, is this space um, open to like what makes Lawrence um, kind of stand out for the ways that we think about transportation? Like the Lawrence Loop is clearly part of, I would imagine, an unmistakable identity. Um, but the fact that kids learn how to ride their bikes in our PE programs in schools is pretty cool. Um, I think one thing that would be nice is a, a bike park. That would be, you know, a nice addition to all the things that Lawrence does to show a commitment to safe um bicycle education. When Stephen was doing his training, it was at the Holcomb 
park and we did it in a parking lot and i thought well this is okay but i've seen some uh images at least when i look online you know google and such that are really impressive bike parks some are for teaching kids how to ride bikes but some are actually just for kids to go and ride just like they would at a skate park um I don't know a whole lot about that because I'm not a kid anymore, but I think if I was a kid and a community had a bike park, um, I'd be excited to go ride. Um, you know, I kind of did that on my own in the woods in Montana. So if there's a actual place to do it in a city park, that would be super cool. And it might fit into a parks and rec effort in my mind. So the other thing that comes to mind around unmistakable or being different I don't know that um, transit really sets us apart in Kansas, but we, there are, you know, some communities don't have transit at all. We do. I just kind of wonder like, what is, how does transit contribute to the vision of us being unmistakably um, Lawrence, Kansas? Like kind of throwing that out there. I don't know if there's an answer, Um but the people come here because we have this awesome transit system and they can, they can live without having to, to own a car. If that's our long-term goal, like that would definitely make Lawrence unmistakably different from the rest of Kansas or the mid, in the Midwest. So maybe there's something we need to really embrace around, you know, transit school in Lawrence, Kansas. So So I really like the expansion of the focus to not just tourism, but also just getting people to move here, which means it's not just Explore Lawrence, it's also the Chamber of Commerce, and I guess whoever else is involved with that. Um, I'm, I've been listening here and trying to figure out what action items we could take to get closer to this. Charlie, do you have anything in mind off the top of your head in terms of like a great study session or a guest speaker? No, it would it'd kind of be like, what's the, how do you get more people to think about transportation being one of the levers for this citywide initiative because my guess is the committee or whoever is responsible for advancing unmistakable identity is probably not thinking transportation is their go-to strategy yeah. you know and i think we almost have to frame that discussion for them and maybe kind of uh or host grease, grease, grease the wheels a little bit so they can start imagining, oh, yeah, we have something here. Okay. You know, and I'll like I mentioned earlier about Columbia, uh, how they had their walking school buses. That was a big deal. PedNet promoted like how big of a deal it was for the real estate community to be able to say, hey, yeah, you know, you live in these neighborhoods and you can, your kids can walk to school on these walking school buses. And, you know, that's when you get realtors excited about transportation. I mean, they don't think of, walking school buses is transportation, but we do, or we should. And so maybe there's a way to say, yeah, we have this really awesome community where kids learn how to ride their bikes, kids walk to school on, on walking school buses, and we have a loop around our city. And, you know, so you kind of like lay those things out there and who wouldn't want to make this their home? Yeah. I wonder then, in, in my mind, I'm kind of formulating here the potential for a bit of a roundtable discussion, almost like a your turn, but instead of public engagement, it's more like organizational engagement. So, I mean, you got Explore Lawrence Chamber, uh, Lawrence Board of Realtors, and Parks and Rec as a governmental 
department. Um, all those entities, I, I would say, have some kind of stake in this discussion of that unique identity, and all of them probably have some experience in trying to figure out what makes other cities unique, and not necessarily copying that because that's not being unique, but what we could do with what we already have to set ourselves apart. Um, I, for one, would really like to see that discussion to both learn more about what they do, but also, like you were saying, get them thinking about transportation, even though they usually don't. Um, so if we're on the same page, should we put that down on a sure. session? I mean, it, it probably is a, a broader conversation. I mean, that would be a way to get kind of this started. Yeah. I, I was trying to think about transit. I don't know where this is at, but the fare-free transit um, concept, that would definitely make transit kind of stand out as different in Lawrence. Um, it's been but, brought up in PTAC once or twice. Um, it's it's not dead, which is good. Um, yeah, I just don't know if that really would make you got to think, yeah, Lawrence, yeah, you can live there and you can do this and you can do that. And, you know, people were looking at the ways that walking is supported, biking is supported, taking the bus is supported. And, you know, it's a it's a place to go to kind of live that car-free life. Charlie? Yes. Just for, your, for everybody's information, I think it's being considered as a pilot when they're with route redesign. Oh, well, there you go. There you I go. mean, it just, we got to, some of this is work that's probably just happening and no one's thought about selling it, you know, like saying this is what makes living here great. Because those of us that live here and think about why we do like it, often it is because we feel like we can do these sorts of things. And, you know, there's, if we were to stretch that, where would we find ourselves? We, we might find ourselves thinking, yeah, we got the best transit system. We got the best places to walk. We got neighborhood schools that makes it easier for kids to ride their bike or whatever. So, and our, and our parks and rec teaches kids how to ride and the schools teach people how to ride, yeah, et cetera. This is, this is Pat Collette and at the other end of that scale, I mean, a, you know, a big initiative with, with the, well, the chamber and, and, uh, uh, such as attracting retirees and, you know, so much of that same kind of emphasis in terms of getting around easily, uh, but, but for seniors. So, you know, that you've got, you know, emphasis on families moving, moving to Lawrence and having, you know, good quality schools and good ways to get there and that kind of thing for, for the school age kids, but also at the other end of the spectrum. All right, I'm going to move you along a little bit because you're on the second one and we got six more. Yes, ma'am. Okay, foster coordination between MMTC and community stakeholders. So we've got updates from parking and transit or PTAC, uh, participate in route redesign as a, with a representative, schedule your turns. Uh, that was the goal objectives. Uh, PTAC coordination happened, monthly updates. You've participated in the committee. Um, provided recommendations on transit improvements. Thoughts about that? What your role in the future is of with with in regard to foster the coordination? Kuzmiak, MMTC chair. I would start by probably striking the monthly PTAC update because we no longer have any members who are on PTAC as well. If we could at least get a biannual update from transit to parking, I think that's perfectly fine. But the uh, second half is going to be kind of hard now that that. Both myself that well, Gregory may be on PTAC still, but he's he's no longer on MMTC, so that would be kind of tough. Charlie Bryan, MMTC. So 
I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know this one should stand alone. Like it feels like it's just a way that we should do our work. It's not the work we should do. If that makes sense. Like it doesn't seem like the goal itself is to do the coordination. It's like going back to the previous discussion. Like if our goal is to really be part of this conversation about what makes Lawrence unique and a place that people want to live and work and play like we have to coordinate that we're not we don't single-handedly make that happen so collaboration and cross you know working across the silos it's on us to make sure that we do that or we do our work in that way so that people do see transportation as an asset and so i would kind of say i don't want to throw out the your turn um concept because i think that was a a nice um strategy for us to kind of flip the tables on our work uh, sessions but i feel like this one doesn't to me seem appropriate as a goal by itself how about if it's merged with number one based on your comment together and it's more about support staff and doing their engagement under their community engagement plans to make sure that community input is reflected in transportation plans programs and processes something like that like reframing that goal there yeah i, th I think that makes sense it does it kind of feels similar enough that we're not losing it then but we're just kind of adapting it Okay. Yeah, I'm fully on board with that. Okay. Assess environmental impacts of projects reviewed by MMTC. So you had joint study session as uh, what you wanted and integrate with the five sustainability principles. And you have it ended up having a study session with the sustainability on climate action, which we've already said kind of we need to probably follow up with where climate action is in coordination. Yeah, I would say that would be a, a decent objective to try to get that to happen. Um, do we still want to have a joint study session with the Sustainability Advisory Committee? Or do you think just the director is probably good enough right now? I think it depends how that what the process is for the climate action plan, right? Because your interest probably really is understanding what strategies get written into the climate action plan that are intertwined with transportation strategies. Am I wrong about that? Or does that sound reasonable? Sorry, I may need you to reframe that. I, I didn't okay. quite get it. So whether or not you're doing the work with the, the sustainability advisory committee or with the staff member, I think the, the objective there is to align the strategies identified in the climate action plan related to mode choice and DMT reduction with transportation strategies. Okay. So how you do the work, whether it's with the staff whether it's in the process or with that committee, I don't know that that's the point of this, of what you write here. I think it's about what you're trying to do. Okay, I'm okay with that. Um, and I, I feel like then if I'm reading you right, then we could probably strike number one because that's kind of a very specific thing that could still be done, but isn't really the point of this row. Um, more importantly, it's just to, to make sure that we take sustainability into account in decisions that we make, which I think is what number two is trying to say there. Um, it, it sounds like they're almost 
I don't know, there's a chance that there could be some kind of like sustainability impact statement, like environmental sustainability impact statement for each agenda item. That is yet more work for staff. And I don't know if I really recommend doing that right now, but um, I'm there just- is some, There is some strategic plan measure in Connected City. Can you look it up, Dave? I can't yeah, think I'm, of it off the top of my head. That relates to how they're gonna score projects on some sustainability index <clears throat> in strategic plans. So some of that may already be happening, by the staff doing those projects as part of a separate city process. Okay, so do you think then the most streamlined way to deal with this would be to kind of rewrite the objective um, in sort of a, I don't know, almost a less explicit way and so, I'm struggling here. Charlie Bryan of MTC. Um, I was gonna push back just a bit. I think the study session is a pretty concrete step we can take and uh, it, it, I mean, maybe we don't have it all figured out, like what would be the purpose and all that, but I think it could be more framed as exploratory, like understanding each other. You know, they don't probably have a understanding of our work. We don't fully understand their work, their priorities. So maybe it's um, about, you know, introducing ourselves. And I heard in, uh, um, I think Damon and Douglas both this interest in uh, how transportation impacts our environment. So and I know Nick, you've shared that concern before. So it's like, how does that, this feels like we have to keep this, you know, something that resembles this environmental dimension to the work we do, the decisions we make. But, and that's the only committee I can think of that kind of shares that interest explicitly. So Maybe it's not a super productive conversation, but it's a way to say, hey, nice to know you. Yeah, kind of along the same lines of meeting with the planning commission where like, we're not gonna get anything concrete done in those meetings, but as long as we can make sure that we understand what the drivers and values are of the other group, then we can maybe mm -hmm. further brainstorm how to work together with them to make sure that we accomplish our goals. I'm curious also, like, could we maybe think about understanding each other from our performance measures perspective? You know, like, what is it they're seeing as their alignment with the city's strategic plan or any other high level plans like the MPO plans? Like, maybe that's a way to focus the conversation. So it's not just, hi, I'm Charlie. And, you know, <laughs> this is what I care about. Maybe, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, there gotta be a way to frame it that helps to keep us all aligned in a way that seems strategic, not just trying to find a connection, for example. So it sounds like then we still want in general to have a meeting with the sustainability advisory committee and we're not necessarily sure exactly how to tackle it. It sounds like you have some ideas. Is this something that we could table for a planning session later, but leave it in as an objective? I mean, you could leave the language just exactly how it is now, which either says with the staff member and or with the committee. Which I think is what it says, you know, the, the committee and or the director. So yeah. Um, Charlie, are you on board with that? Yeah, I, I mean, this needs to be fleshed out. I mean, honestly, I'm a little disappointed that this one didn't get a whole lot more attention last year, so. Uh, it goes back to earlier comment I made around like if we're going to take our role seriously, we've got to probably um, expect each other to serve on committees uh, because 
there's not enough time to advance all these things at a monthly you know meeting. And a lot of this isn't work that needs to have decisions made in a public way. It's the it's the laying the groundwork for discovery of what are those public decisions that need to be brought forward. And some of that's, you know, I don't know, just it, it takes time to figure out what that is. And then you say, oh, you know what? We both share kind of that interesting goal around mode share, for example. Like, I don't know if they really pay attention to mode share and that impact it could have on the environment. I hope they would, but maybe they don't. And planning commission shares in that, maybe. <laughs> so I, I kind of feel like we're going to always be overlapping with other people's work. So we should probably always try to figure out how we relate with them on an annual basis. I'm going to keep moving you along okay. in this discussion. Elevate equity and transportation decision making. You intended to hold a study session. Um, with the Directorate of Equity and Inclusion, we kind of talked about already needing to do some of that again with maybe some training explored in relationship to resources or elevating a conversation about um, equity and representation on the committee and whether that's volunteer compensation. Um, I'd say can probably, you know, establish the procedure to produce equity impact statements. You began that, so probably you want to continue that. Um, and you established a committee to review performance measures in relation to the that role um, and you probably have some more work to do there. Any other thoughts about that? You want to put non-motorized prioritization update on here as an explicit thing with equity? Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Sorry, Charlie, Brian, MMTC. Uh, Jessica, that's a good suggestion. I think going back to the kind of earlier conversation around equity um i i think also having uh, I, personally i think this is one of those where we would really benefit from having an equity committee and you know we need to be have some of our members on there but i think it might be most fruitful if we also were to recruit some um, representation outside of our uh, commission and uh, I think we could do that I think it'd be a worthwhile goal to put you know a subcommittee together with two or three of us and some staff and then maybe three people from the community that would help us just make some progress on defining how we are working toward advancing equity and understanding inequities around transportation. Do you do you think after the conversation that you had with the presentation from United Way Human Services Coalition and their anti-poverty plan initiatives that all the human service providers are working on and the new position of the mobility planner that some of that work may be done outside of your realm and you wanna be part of that? or that you want to create a whole nother spectrum where you're establishing responsibility for that work and it's a whole new staff item that staff take on in addition to existing work. So uh, as I'm thinking about it, it's probably not at the level of creating a whole new set of work. It's more of how, do, how does the 
Transportation Commission um, improve on our efforts to address inequities in transportation. And so that might be through identifying training. It could be um, through how we support efforts to recruit uh, membership. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I feel like that's why it would really be useful to have a equity committee that could flesh out, like, how do we make progress on this? And is the progress meaningful? Because um, it's, it's, it feels really almost too easy and too safe to just say, oh, we just need to schedule some training. And I feel like that's not um, challenging us to make progress. So we, I, I don't know that we have a quick, easy answer to how do we do that, but I feel like if there was a committee that that would be the work of the committee to figure out like what do they recommend to the transportation commission to make progress on this and i'm not sure that we can have those answers by ourselves either so if i was on a committee like that which i would be eager to volunteer for that i would i would absolutely feel stuck if i didn't have the expertise of others that are really passionate about that and can find you know us, all of us listening intently to what they might have to teach us. So, and what we can learn ourselves. So I don't know, I guess I'd say it's, it's too formative to, to say, okay, here's the exact work that needs to be done. It's more like, what do we think is important? And rather than have this conversation only once a year during a retreat, let's keep the dialogue going on and identify something more concrete to bring to the full commission. So I guess I would say is let's add an action step on here that is to form an equity committee that includes um, additional members of the community. Yeah, I don't, do we have the framework structure to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I've never, I don't I've know never done a steering committee that or a subcommittee that does, that brings on additional membership because you're creating a whole other public body where you're holding, you know, I don't, I don't know how that works with coma. And if you're now like establishing a whole new committee. Yeah. I can only imagine if you had too many members of the commission on there, yeah. then you would create a problem. But if it's two, yeah. if okay. it's two of us or three of us, um, it seems like it's relatively safe and we're able to, you know, like committees should do. We come back to our commission meetings and report on it. Um, but that, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I just feel like that shouldn't be the barrier that stops us from making more progress this year. Yeah, I would say we had that equity committee formed and we hadn't met for a while. So I think it exists, but yes. the membership is not yeah. no longer on the board. Yeah, not we would on need the, to appoint some new members yep. to the existing committee. So we need, I think a start would be to get get that committee uh, formed or reestablished and um, then determine how to move forward. Okay. Well, I guess I had forgotten that we even had a committee. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, I see it there, right there know, in red, it, held a study session, created an equity committee. Yeah. And that, and that, that kind of helped us start putting those equity impact statements on the agenda items. And I don't know if we had a lot of... Yeah, we had the conversation about what the study session was going to be with the Human Services Coalition. Was I on that committee? 
sorry. I, 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 from the top of my memory, I'm going to say Pat and Steve. Okay. Was there someone else too? Um, Gregory. Gregory Critchlow. I okay. think. Yeah. Well, I would say an action item would be to get that committee back in place. And um, then I guess my additional stretch or push would be, uh, can we be open to the possibility that we need um, more engagement with members of our community that are kind of passionate about addressing equity? So... This might, uh, Douglas, um, this might be a case of recruitment, um, rep, of uh, getting representational people who are who are passionate about um, freedom of movement, and mobility, and um, poverty, and, and and neighborhoods, and and I mean, it kind of dovetails back with the fifteen minute just. It's something that I'm sure that there are a lot of people in Lawrence who, although they live fine, they would like things to be better, you know. And I'm sure we can all we all know someone who is who is either disabled now or has been disabled. And you know, we all get older and, and our knees and joints, you know, they change. You know, I, when I was younger, I wanted a, a two-story Victorian house. I wanted to have the money to get that. Now I think about Wow, if I had the money, I would go for something more one-story or split-level mid-century modern. But uh, I mean, there are people who who wanted to run, who did run for city commission, you know, on equity, and there are people who uh, also ran for other positions uh, in the school board. And you know, it might be it behoove us to uh, try and recruit some of those people. I mean, at least as far as representation goes. And maybe not think of it as so much as a commission or a subcommission, um, but as as an outreach project in and of itself um, and promotional and public. <laughs> anyway, that's just my two cents. That's all I've got to say. And thank you for your time. This is Pat Clett, NMTC commission, commissioner. Um, maybe a way forward, and you know, I think we kind of started this was you know, reestablishing re the equity committee with members from the commission and, and, you know, kind of figure out some, some next steps, but maybe rather than, I mean, maybe a thing to investigate rather than adding the community members to the subcommittee, whether it would be more viable to have invitations to the subcommittees, you know, so you know, have two or three people come in and speak to the subcommittee rather than being considered. I don't know if that would fit better within the framework framework of the city, you know, the city's advisory committee and commission structure uh, where you're not actually um, bringing them onto the to the subcommittee, but but, you know, resources to that subcommittee. That could certainly be done. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I think that that's if that's a practical way to move forward on it, um, that makes sense. 
Okay, yeah. I'm going to keep moving us forward. We have 16 minutes till the end of the day. We have three more topics. So um, measure progress towards MMTC towards meeting responsibilities. I would assume probably a similar process to what we did is or with evolution seems reasonable. Um, is there any additional work about performance metrics to evaluate progression of meeting responsibilities in bylaws? Um, that's still on there. I don't know how you feel about that. And as a task. Thank you, MMTC Chair. I know when we were planning the retreat, we had discussed the idea of just kind of procedure in MMTC. For example, Charlie, you brought up in the past, like how formal do we want to be, right? Like, should I be calling you Commissioner Brian every time I address you? Should we have a, a way that we do hand raises? Like, how do we hold our meetings, especially because the bylaws were never intended for the Zoom era. So I wonder if it would be worthwhile to maybe have a study session um, still addressing that idea of sort of protocol or procedure, you know, um, if, if if that's of interest. I, I don't know if there is enough broad interest to actually do that, but especially because we don't have a lot of longtime members anymore who really, I guess, would have as much of, a, of an opinion about that perhaps. So that was something that I was thinking we could add as an objective here, but we're willing to hear differing opinions there. All right. Any other thoughts? Otherwise, I'll keep moving us on. We'll just kind of keep talking about what maybe fits there. Um, provide the, ne the next two are really probably could be merged together, but they provide input to MPO and Planning Commission transportation initiatives and participate in the long Lawrence Douglas County Long Range Transportation Plan because that was this year one. Um, we can probably update all the stuff of where that some of that is in the process. Um, and then you kind of have as item three joint meetings with planning commission. They're going to be having the planning department's going to be having the land development code update process, the an East Lawrence neighborhood planning process this year and a West of K-10 planning process, all of which will probably have ties will be, you know, staff led processes that will have ties back to transportation. So thinking about how that looks uh, in the future year based on kind of how you've done representation um, in, in the past. So kind of on our, on the radar. Yeah, it does look like this one needs some significant revisions. <laughs> um, yeah, we've, we've fallen greatly behind on our best laid intentions on our research for transportation and land use best practices based on some staff capacity. And especially with the development of the land development code project, some of that became less relevant um, with a future two year process update to actually do the revisions as opposed to just <clears throat> best practices. So um, we, we can update that. Thoughts overall about where this stands or kind of where we're at? I do like the idea of combining it. It, it seems similar enough that if we strike a couple of these because they're out of date or no longer relevant, that we could easily make this a single row. But yeah. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Um, Nick, since you're the chair, and I think Damon's our vice chair. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, same enough. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, it's always hard, and, and I'm feeling like we're rushed to get to the meet, end of the meeting. But I would, um, I'm assuming this is going to come back before us, like it did last year, where we'll make it an official um, 
you know, we'll consider it at one of our meetings. I guess I'd like to um, imagine that if you had some more time to stew over this and um, clean it up that you would, you know, you could kind of improve on the document overall. And I'm wondering if you feel like you have that liberty. <laughs> um, I think that's I mean, the precedent uh, is that the chair and vice chair work with staff to do that. Okay. Yep. That's that's kind of, I like, because I feel Absolutely. like we've given you the input you yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and then we'll have a chance for it to go through a public process. And yes. So. Yeah, we're not voting on this today. This yeah. is just feedback and conversation to develop all of that conversation. That's formal in terms of considering it as adopting it as a work plan will happen at the public meeting. Okay. The the idea that I had mentioned earlier about thinking more about our committees and all that, I I guess. Um, for me that if we were going to add anything new to this kind of format, it would be being or more intentional about um, committee assignments. And I don't know how you, how you feel about that, but often the progress is not made unless people are kind of accountable for it. So when we do our commission items and people, you know, given an update about PTAC or this or that, maybe, maybe there's a way to kind of share the, um, responsibility for ensuring progress on these things by putting some names there. So, so I generally support that. And I think it maybe deserves further discussion, especially since we have new members who may have come in here with a certain expectation and that may change if there is now requiring to be on a committee. Um, I'm, I'm not fully decided either way, but I, I think that maybe we'll be able to fit into a study session on general protocol bylaws kind of stuff because that kind of gets at the core of who we are and what we do. That's yeah, right. I agree. I'm not, I'm throwing it out there because I feel like we, there's a few people that put a lot of work in and, and we lost some of, uh, you know, we lost Steve Evans. He was one of those people that did a lot of that. And um, I think we might have also lost people that realized it was more work than they thought it was. So just being clearer to people about what's the amount of time it takes and what's expected of them in terms of advancing this, you know, work. Um, it's nice to see it shared and everybody to jump in and help out. So it's also hard sometimes to say no to, you know, one thing because you only want to focus on trying to make progress on something else. Like I think I wanted to do equity last year, but then I committed to something else because, you know, I can't recall exactly, but dividing and trying to make progress is important. I agree. Um, Jessica, is there anything else we need to do on this? Do we want to take a quick glance at the 2022 schedule or are we probably good for it now? No, I think, I think, I think probably we're probably pretty good. We talked about a lot of the items besides specific projects, which I don't think we should get into today. So I think, you know, that's for your pleasure of viewing. We will be editing it, I think, based on some of the conversation we have today to bring back to you. Um, and we'll work with chair and vice chair to, to, uh, edit the outline for object goals and objectives. Um, I feel pretty confident we can bring, do that work and bring something back um, without, with the guidance that we got today. So unless somebody has anything that's in a different direction to what you've already said. Uh, I, do, I do have one comment, not necessarily okay. on that, but adding to um, 
just a, a thought in terms of committee structure and volunteering and that kind of thing is that you know we have we have vacancies on the on the um, commission and and maybe being more intentional about strategies to um, recruit people. I I had sent out a a note on the uh, Lawrence Bike Club to encourage people to you know consider uh, applying, but um, you know I think you know making more people aware of of this commission for one thing and um, and the opportunity to to volunteer, you know, and you know, if there's some way to encourage more diversity, all the better. So, but just something to think about and figure out if, if there's a, anything that we can do to help to to help drive that. So, Charlie Bryan, MMTC, I um, I know we just went through that uh, work plan list, but. There wasn't much discussion about if there was a need to add anything to it. And I didn't know if that was, if there was an option for that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the last okay. comments about stuff in terms of okay. how the work evolves. And last, do you need to do, would you like to add something else to it? Well, it's just, it's just kind of one of those things that's been on my mind and I mentioned it just briefly earlier. It feels as if there is not, to me, this is just my opinion about it, but it feels like we aren't being um, very explicit around our support for safe uh, cycling in the community. And I think we all, you know, think we are doing that, but it doesn't, like when I look at the document, I'm kind of left going, okay, so what are we going to do? You know, when Damon says he has to cross 6th Street four times a day, um, and I just wonder if there's a way to make that more explicit. And um, there, you know, was, I know there's work we're thinking about around the, um, how, you know, intersections are, the policies around intersections and whether they're controlled or uncontrolled. But the Idaho stop was discussed a bit last year. And we heard from staff kind of the rationale for not, um, not pursuing anything until the state made some um, progress on that, uh, but it it to me it just feels like we're we're kind of falling flat. If you were to ask the really active bicyclists how we're doing, I guess I'd wonder would they be satisfied or would they feel like you know we haven't really made an impact in their lives? And so um, I just wonder how do we make that how do we make progress to 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 be more responsive to the um, people that are out there riding their bikes to work or doing, you know, more of the commuter kind of, um, they're making the mode shift basically. How do we help help them and, um, and listen to what their opinions are on how successful or not successful we're being, um, so. That might be a your, a your turn session. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's kind of the, I just, I'm wondering, like, I know you got a bike plan update and there's other things that are happening and maybe we just need to put it down on our work plan just, so it's more obvious. Yeah. Maybe we need to go back and look at the action plans from all of those mode specific plans. Like what things are in, what strategies and recommendations are identified in these plans that need to be start to be slated in the workload. 
to make progress. Because I think that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about in some sense, Charlie, is yep. you may be funding the implementation of projects, but there's a lot of other strategy is identified in a lot of those plans that maybe we should be making progress on. Yeah, that's, I mean, I I feel like this isn't like we're neglecting it, but I also have a hard time saying, yeah, here's what we did. It's like and not actively being implemented. It feels that way to me. Yeah. I think it. Like, I don't know where are we at, where are we at with a bicycle friendly community status? Are we still at silver? Um, is that still, even? We're still at silver and we submitted a renewal application. So we'll see. Okay. And the re, the submission of the renewal, when did that happen? Was that last year? Uh, somewhere between November and now. Okay. I, I, so that kind of disappoints me that we didn't know about it. You know, like, so it gets to like, if our purview is supposed to be multimodal, then I'm just, it doesn't feel quite right that I'm, that I'm kind of feeling disconnected to that work, I guess. And maybe it, it can be a lot of that process is like for particularly, I think there could be some discussion around this, but a lot of that process is a lot of just data collection. Like, tell us what the policy is. Tell us what this is. Tell us what this is. That's what that application looks like. Yeah, I know. They, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like, does the commission understand the importance of that? And um, how does it, how does it get little bit more um, sunlight so that we are feeling like we're doing we're, we're doing justice to that um, piece of multimodal. I feel so. like a lot of that probably changed with the elimination of the Lawrence Douglas County Bicycle Advisory Committee where there was framed work solely yep. around bicycling um, as the mode um, in terms of like promotion of bike week and all of that stuff. So I, that you're probably spot on. I think maybe that's the the kind of hole that I'm feeling. <laughs> You know. So there's a new bicycle rideability map out. Well, that's, that's good. MPO and, and you know, MPO I know the, M the MPO, the MPO yeah. is continuing to kind of do this for the whole MPO region, but it feels like in Lawrence, we're kind of just, I don't know if we're on autopilot or what's going on, but it doesn't feel like there's, um, I don't feel like we're making a real huge effort to change anything for people that rely on a bike to get around town every day. Well, I think it just depends how it's framed because I think the conversation yeah. like, oh, Article 9 has been updated to change bike parking amenities. And so development now is being required under certain circumstances to have long-term bicycle parking. So how long does it take over decades probably to really make an impact on some of that in terms of impacting people? So Article 9 is finally been completed or yes so, uh -huh. okay so yeah. another another example where it didn't yeah. really come to this commission yes it did yeah it, yes when it did. did it, it what an update 20, 2020 2020 yeah okay but maybe yeah. i just lost track of that yeah. but my my point is like in our work plan i don't i don't feel like the yeah. work plan speaks too much to that part of our what should be our agenda no, and I understand what so, you're saying. I'm just trying to think of examples like that were things that you may have done that may not have been like, oh, this is a bicycling thing, but because it's not a bicycle committee, but it's like the whole, all the modes. Sure. So yeah. perhaps a way to think about it would be going back through the list that you just presented. Um, if we coded that, you know, how, how successful would we say that we've captured our progress on the... Um, you know, supporting people that ride bikes. I don't know. 
I'm, I'm just kind of, con yeah. I'm confessing that it just feels like there's something missing there for me. And maybe I'm alone in that, but um, yeah. it, it, it'd be nice to figure out how does that become more visible to all of us. So then Damon's comments earlier kind of got me started thinking about that. You know, it's nice. To, I didn't know that he rode his bike um, every day. So that, that was kind of like, Oh, we need to, that's good to have that perspective on our commission. It's really important. Actually. It's like having someone who rides the bus every day. Like those are perspectives that we benefit tremendously from. It's 501. I'm sorry. I had yeah. to ramble like that at the end. That's okay. That's okay. All right. So does anybody else have anything to add? Otherwise I will tell us all to have a great weekend and um, thank you for your time today to participate in the retreat. Yeah, I certainly appreciate you facilitating this. I think it went pretty well. And I think we have a lot of good takeaways and look forward to working on that work plan. Okay. Wonderful. Well, have a great weekend. Thank you. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.